The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch for reviewing of our show homes a brochure or for more information let brb homes take the stress out of your build check out brbhomes.ie there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and zepbound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to this episode of Big News Coming Soon. And this week, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Mark Jordan, pharmacist. Uh, as known on Instagram. Mark, uh, thanks a million for joining us, first of all. Well, thanks for having me. You first came up on my radar during COVID. And I hate saying that word because your podcast gets restricted every time you say words like Should COVID. Should have just said the emergency. And vaccine and stuff like that. But for some reason, I, do, I, I just don't think we're going to avoid these, these, <laughs> these words for an hour or whatever this podcast is. Is it fair to say you blew up during that time? Yeah, I know. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Like, I, I got a lot of traction. Isn't that tra- what they say? Got for, a lot of traction, a lot for, of traffic. For being outspoken. For being outspoken, maybe not. Maybe um, maybe for calling BS on some of the headlines that I was reading. We, we, and, we'll and get to that, yeah. Flying, flying like, you know, close, closer to the ground than the rest of, rest of them might have been. Okay, well, before we get to that, let's go right back in time. Where is Mark Jordan from? Cashel Bear. Cashel Bear. Cashel Bear, born and bred. And, and I didn't stray too far from it in the time between. And what age are you? I'm 32, I think. Do I have to check my wife? <laughs> All right, well, yeah, yeah, for I'm the 32. Sake of, we'll, yeah. say, we'll say 32 for today. Yeah. There, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. And um, where did you go to school? I went to School Raftery in Cashel Bear. And then I went to St. Gerald's. And I was in St. Gerald's till close to the end. And we had a mutual agreement. And uh, departed from St. Gerald's and I went to went to Limerick, a grind school in Limerick. Uh, yeah. So you, do you still have the Cupola Fuckle? Yeah, Laurie and Gilga. Really? Yeah. And do you ever yeah. get called up by TG Cahar or any of that kind of? No, 
don't. They must know you have the Cooper Fuckle then, do they? Well, I, you know, it's not something I, I advertise. I like. I'm not as confident as I was when I was probably 18 or 19 in it. I was always jealous of the kids in Castlebar going to school. You're Rachel. joking me. I was because I had no interest in Irish, and yeah. in secondary school, our Irish teacher now was she was two sheets in the wind, <sighs> you know. Yeah, and I had no interest in it. And well, it I, swings around about though. Like, like I had no maths. You know, I wasn't great at maths because, like, you're learning your maths. But I didn't go to a maths school. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's right. true. Yeah. you might not add any maths either. Maybe that says more about us than it does about anybody else. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I did. I, I was always envious of the kids in school after yeah. uh, and, and definitely then in your later years, there's two things I wanted to do. Uh, speak Irish and play Gaelic. Yeah. And I didn't do either. Well, look, you look like a Gaelic star now, and sure, it's not too... It's not, it's not, you've got the full kit in you now. Don't make me call you out. Now. I have the full kit on today now, because I was out doing the grass before you landed. But that's the only reason. I wouldn't, I couldn't kick snow off a roll. Yeah. So let's talk about school then. Uh, national school, was it good? Did you enjoy it? Uh, look, like I was, you know, I, I was middle of the row, middle of the class. Um, my, my main thing coming out of sec- or national school, according to my father and my mother anyway, was to make sure I could read and write. And I was, I had a couple of pals. Have you good memories of national school? Uh, generally speaking, yeah. 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 Like, do you know, I don't really think about it too much. Like, I have very good memories of parts of national school, I suppose. The bits that I can remember are generally, generally good. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't really in trouble. I wasn't, you know, I didn't get, get caught out too often. I wasn't really an anything to get caught out at. Right. Um, I made up for it then when I got into secondary school. So, like, you know. Go on, so. Usually... St. Charles now would be kind of notorious for good boys and, you know, a brother school. Would have been an RJ, you'd say, yeah. yeah Do you yeah. know what it's like now? Like, But I was a howie anyway. So I was always in bother. Go on, when did the bother start? I was a bit too cute, you know. Like, I, if I, if I disagreed with what I was been told, I'd tell them. And, like, if I disagreed with what I was been taught, I'd tell them. Give me an example. Uh, I was thrown out in the English class for the English class not moving quickly enough. Who had you in English? Oh, jeez, I can't remember her name now. God love oh, her. Oh, that lady? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, she, was, I... she was new in, oh, in kind of around that time. She was probably, oh, she was after my time then because yeah. um, our English teacher as well, he was mad old crack. Did you go to St. Charles? Yeah, we had, I had a really old school English teacher and, and I thought we were going to have the same English teacher because yeah. this, this fella now, you could uh, sidetrack him awful handy. Yeah. So we would have competitions. A couple in, of those books were knocking around. We'd time, have competitions yeah. going into the class. Uh, who could sidetrack him the longest? Yeah. And you'd, you'd, you'd try and get him on a topic. Yeah. And you keep it going for the 40 minutes. Was your geography teacher like that as well? Oh, well, our geography teacher now, he'd give you the back of the hand fairly, fairly lively. Would like. he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't mess with him now. The ladies and gents out there, like we're getting slighter, we're getting down into the weeds on this. But anyway, um, no. So it. I was hoping you had the same English teacher as me. But go on anyway. You, you bring me back to that day. Oh, that day, that particular day. Like I suppose the background of that is, is I was thrown out. I was thrown out in third year. Um, thrown out of the classroom. No, thrown out of the school in third year. <laughs> oh. Yeah, about <laughs> around this time of the year, shortly before the exams, I was fired out. I went, I was mitching and um, I'd say my my father dropped me off and at the time the Shell to Sea thing was all over the news. So there was a couple of boys after getting locked up for protests and they were called like, you know, to Bill Mullet three or... For people that aren't familiar with the Shell to Sea thing, that was the, the Shell project. They were um, taking gas down in North Mayo. Yes. And then there was a load of people out protesting against it. They didn't want them there. They mm. didn't want the gas line and... It was all over the news. Every guard in the country was down there pulling lads out of ditches and pulling lads into ditches. And yeah. it was, 
You had lads uh, painting the front end of Kenny's office in Castle oh, Bar. God. It was trying times for you the county, you know. Lying across roads. We were as close to the French back then. As oh, we, yeah. As we ever yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, When you think about it, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. whatever happened after that, we calmed down altogether. And we got it out of our system, you know. It was just a rebellious, youthful period of Mayo's kind of, like, So, history. So, during the Shell to Sea time then, were you... Were you caught up in that no what what happened was is i was getting out of the car one morning and i said to my father i'm not going in here today and he said no no no, yeah yeah and i said i'm warning you know if you make me go in this school i said i'm gonna turn on my heel as soon as you leave and i'm gone and he he laughed at me like you know and i laughed at him i was serious and he was serious and he said don't be the castle bar one and he said, you know, my point was is that I was wasting my time in there. I should have been studying and the exams coming up. And it was the last couple of days of school, you know, and, you know, the foot was off the gas in there. So um, I did as I said I was going to do. As soon as he left, I left. And I got caught out because my science teacher uh, rang my mother and said, Mark's science, we had like this report to hand up part of the, the project. It was a project for the junior cert. He said, Mark never left it in. Science would have been one of my better subjects. So I liked that guy. And I just happened to forget. And she said, uh, well, he should be in there. And he said, well, he's not. And my mom was cute enough. She said, I, he's probably, I, he could be with his father. I'll, I'll phone him now. She rang me. She said, where in the name of God are you? So I told her where I was, it was down the town. She offered to get me out of it, but I went in and I faced the music and sure I was suspended on the spot and there was th- threats of all sorts. There's more of a story there now. You weren't just suspended for not handing in a science. No, I was suspended for for mitching. A few times. I must have been must have been the second time I could have been caught, yeah. There must have been some more to it, but this is how I remember it. But anyway. this is just uh, speaking as a serial mitcher. I found it very hard to get suspended. Because <laughs> I was going out of my way to get suspended. Were you? And I couldn't. Well, you see, like, this crack of me being too smart for me own good was kind of catching up with me. So uh, You obviously had a really good relationship then with your parents. Ah, uh, yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, I still do. Like, you're, my mum and dad are great. You were straight up with them. Yeah, like, and I had no reason not to be. But, like, at the time, I was getting a bit more brazen anyway, you know. Like, I, I was doing and saying things that it's not like they would have been... They wouldn't have been encouraging me, but uh, I would have been straight up with them, yeah. Yeah, like, first and second year, I was quiet enough, broke out in second year. Then third year, I was working hard, but I was a bit of a riot. And then fourth year, the wheels came off the wagon. Fifth year, I was still too cute for my own good, and I was still mucking about. I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Ara, like, that fateful day, I got fired out of that class. I got fired out of Irish about two weeks later, and I was on daily probation and all that type of crack, like you know. So, I was, I, you know, I was a bit of a disaster. But you were like a real, a real pup, but not even in a bad old kind of way. Well, you I was were, hanging around. I was ha- like, I was hanging around with pups, and I was acting like a pup. But behind closed doors, I was still studying. You were the bollocks that was able to get A's in the exams. No. But still be at the mess. I only started getting A's in the leaving cert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's when I went down to Tutorial College, the grind school. So did an interview in there, told them that I was a pup, like. And they said, well, there'll be none of that in here. Where do you think the acting out came from then? Was it was it the, the crowd you're in with? Part of it, probably. But you're like, I was an anxious young fella, you know. But probably just low self-esteem. The usual complaints that young fellas in rural Ireland have and I was interested in 
punk rock and grunge and all I wanted to do was kind of play music, smoke fags out the back and, you know, drink bottles. That's all I was interested in. And I luckily had a good enough relationship with my mum and dad that it's not that they turn a blind eye to it, but they try and kind of steady me a bit and at the same time kind of pressured me into doing a good bit of work. So I still worked and that was the trade-off. I could go out and have to crack the lads, but I also had to work in the evenings. And I did, in fairness. So you went out and you were a pup and then you'd go home and study? Yeah. That's like a, a blaggard. That's really interesting. Really annoying. And would you person. let on to the lads you were studying? Yeah, I didn't didn't hide the fact that I was studying. like Because I thought it was a fool's game anyway. I'd tell them it was a fool's game. What was a fool's game? School? Well, a fool, fool, uh, like, yeah, school is institutionalisation is a fool's game, you know? Like, you can't, you can't bait every peg into every opening that's available. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> the whole thing is a sham. It is, like, it yeah. is. You don't have to, like, the amount of successful people that you and I know. That, that, can't, that can't spell their name. That, that can't, well, yeah. Or, like, that just didn't get, this, the whole academic institution just didn't suit them. Mm. College was a disaster for me. It's it's a life story, you know, and it's, it's a repetition of, like, serial behaviours. That's just the way I am. I find it interesting because I, I started acting out after the junior cert. Mm. I didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. Um, I was overweight and I was just not playing sports and I wasn't in any cool gangs and I was kind of always kind of just the outsider and just got fed up with school. Yeah. And started going on the hop then after third year, probably a few times in third year. Well, actually, now that I think of it, I think I went on the hop from first year onwards because I started writing my own notes in first year. But... It just ramped up then after yeah. in TY. Yeah. And then that was the end of me after TY. I, yeah. I left school altogether. But I I then did okay in my junior search. And the only reason I know I did okay was because I got three A's, three B's, three C's and a D. That's pretty good. Now, some of them were pass and some of them were higher. Sure, that so, doesn't matter. Like. So I did okay in that sense. But then after that, like the wheels came off altogether. Yeah. I, wouldn't br- I wouldn't open a book. I'd go into the class and I'd be trying to, I'd be falling asleep. I'd be... Going on the hop, and then yeah. I, le- I left. Then I went on the the buildings. Yeah, but labouring, labouring for a living. I would have went eaten the chungum off the footpaths, just <laughs> not to go into school. Oh man, Absol- isn't it mad though? I but hated isn't that, it. That's not that says more about the system than it does about you, though. That's my opinion on it. My yeah. opinion on it is is that successful entrepreneurial individuals, you know, for example. Generally speaking, don't get don't get on well in those in, institutions. Like, like right. the ac- academia just doesn't suit an awful lot of them. So, how did you end up down in Limerick then? That was that well, was drastic. I was inside in Duns in Castlebar, and I leave the manager's name nameless. But I wasn't six hours into my first shift, and he oh. caught me chewing chewing gum, and he said, "Did you not watch the induction video?" Was it the top manager? The top man. Oh, because I worked for him when yes, I was sixteen did you? as well. Did you get fired? Uh, um, I got my last warning on my first day. I'm very proud of it. Go on. I, I never knew we had such similar stories, but go on. I think he threw a, a, an Oxford lunch at me one day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was that was the end of that. <laughs> well, he said to me, did you not watch that video? And I said, I did, yeah. And he said, uh, he said you shouldn't be chewing chewing gum. And I said, right. And he said, so swallow it. And I said, I will, yeah. I said, swallow it. I said, I'll go and put it in the bin. He said, no, you're busy there. Swallow it and get on with your, your work. And I said, I'm not. And so ensued the argument where I ended up getting warned. Now, you had to go upstairs to the office. Yeah. Well, no, he warned me on the spot. And right. I, I got a talking to by his number two then the following day. And then, like, you know, there was mix up 
I maintain it was a mix-up with the road, but anyway, it might or might not have been a mix-up with the road. I wasn't at work anyway, and I should have been. And I remember complaining about this to my parents, and I was really on a slippery slope at that stage now. I was like, I wasn't, I was barely in school. This would have been fourth year. I was barely in school. So and you were in Duns in the evenings and the weekends? Yeah, yeah. In, and, in grocery? Uh, in grocery, yeah, on the floor, yeah. And then... um my mother basically, anyways, gave me an ultimatum. She said that uh, I I had lived a privileged lifestyle, and I obviously was either going to go one or two ways, and I had a choice. And one of the ways was go down to tutorial college, and if they let me in, break me back working, and they'd foot the bill, or I wait in Duns, and I was already on my last warning, and uh, I'm on my own. So I said, right, grant. And at that stage, I had said there that I was in fourth year, but I wasn't. I was in fifth year. At that stage, I was in a lot of trouble in school. I was getting into trouble on a daily basis. And uh, I was getting fired out of classes for being too smart. Um, telling teachers that we had a schedule to keep and they weren't keeping up with the schedule. Like I was gunning for a thousand points anyway. Like like I needed all the points in the world. Um and I had devised this schedule, say in English, where I knew we had so many weeks to do so many poems. And we were on our fourth week, still on the first poem. And I called the teacher out and it like, and she didn't like it. And she was right to an extent. But I was right too. And she was having none of it. So out I went. And down to tutorial college. And jeez, I, I knew what work was then. Go on. What was that? Well, my date started six I lived in an apartment just behind the college, so I'd go down Windmill Lane and i get down to Windmill Lane and I'd train between kind of half six and maybe seven o'clock. I'd be in school for eight. First class is, I think first class used to start at about half eight. When you say train, like just doing weights, is it? Or? Yeah, I was boxing a lot at the time, so I'd go boxing, like circuitry work, then weights, yeah, and then I'd be in school then for about eight. We wouldn't leave school till about half ten, eleven o'clock at night. We'd study then after school. Everyone? Yeah. Everyone. Everyone. Now, yeah, it was optional, like, but it was... How did you go from hating school to doing twice the work? It was a means to an end, and then there was so many people at that stage had said to me, it's an impossibility. There is no conceivable way you are going to get into university. Never mind get into any of these courses you're looking at. I had a chemistry teacher in St. Gerald's wouldn't w- literally would not correct my paper. He said, there's no point in correcting the paper. And it was on an exam that I had asked him to <laughs> field, like, and he, he was like, there's no point. Why? He was just like, sure, it's going to be wrong. Everything will be wrong. You're crap at it, like. So I just said, right, grand. But like at that stage, I had that many people I had so many of those situations circling in my head, previous experiences. The one thing, the worst thing you can tell me is that you can't, you won't be able to do that. So I had phenomenal drive and I had great support down in um, down in Limerick. The, it was absolutely exceptional. Like if you put in, in an exceptional amount of work inside in that school, you'll get it back out from the staff in there. So I was the beneficiary of their efforts as well as my own, you know. So you, you admired the staff down there? Oh, yeah. They were creaming the crop now. They they really went above and beyond. We had no books. We didn't work from books. We worked from their notes. They were experts, like. Unbelievable. You're thriving then at this. Oh, jeez, I was flying. 
like for the next 10 years of my life after that, I would have told everybody that was the best year of my life. Easily. Like. Before we go any further now. Yeah. So there's, there's a bit of a chip on your shoulder here growing up. Oh, there is. Yeah. Did you ever find out where that came from or what it was about? No. And I've it's often been recommended that I go and figure it out or go to go and get an evaluation of some description. But the problem is, is that it's part of me and it's part of my drive. And I attribute that chip on my shoulder, whatever I can attribute it to, certainly my success is attributed to that chip on my shoulder. Yeah, that's fair enough. But growing up, did anyone ever say to you, geez, you're the spitty or... Yeah. Who? Yeah, like, I'd be sure I'd be stopped by those same teachers that taught you, or of a particular generation, taught me father and my uncles. You're, you know, you're the spit of your father. Right. Like, pity about you, you couldn't, you wouldn't be a bit more like him. You okay. know, because dad was, like, and his brothers were exceptional academics, you know, exceptional students for their time. Guy was just bowled as brass. And Bright, do you, but. Do you mind me religion. asking what your dad went on to do? He was vet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. So they remember him, and it, that was in a time that nobody went to university. You oh, know? But he'd be the pride of St. Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's coming in from a, a dynasty of guys that went off to be judges and, you know, PhD engineers and, you know, scientists of varying degrees and but entrepreneurs. You, there was obviously a bit of pressure on you then. Big pressure was the first. Was that, um, was that pressure purposely applied or was it subconsciously there? I have to be like one of them. A bit of both now. So I was the first grandchild. Fair amount of weight put on me with respect to my family around me. Like, But like none of it's sinister. Like it's just, you know, I'm sure you want to be as good as the rest of them were. They just want you thing. to. Yeah, they want you to succeed. Do good. Like anybody would. Like I felt the pressure. But then in turn, I put myself under a fair amount of pressure. It, it wasn't something that was, it didn't, it didn't eat me from the inside out. Like, like it wasn't, I wasn't annoyed about it i was quite happy with the with the position i was given and i was quite happy with the opportunity as i was, I was given as a result of that yeah like so it swings and roundabouts i'm sure if you ask 15 year old mark now who's after sitting the junior cert this time however many years ago he'd tell you the complete opposite but like that's that's how i think i felt about it and it's interesting that a man that is as deep as you didn't go too deep on yourself yeah, but I, like, you know, you can't can't get too deep in yourself. Like, you, know? <laughs> you don't want to know. No, I don't. I don't, like, do you ever hear of people doing, going out licking frogs in the Amazon and stuff like that, like, to yeah. find themselves? Yeah. Couldn't do it. No. It, people that I admire, people that I follow, or people that I know have gone and done ayahuasca and stuff like that, like, and suffered that ego death, you know, where you find out what you're really about and you come out of it rejuvenated and... Yeah. All that type of stuff. I could never, I could never do that. I spent two years trying to figure myself out. Did you? What yeah. did you learn? Ah, uh, look, at, I, I had to go right back into my childhood and figure out what went wrong there to yeah. figure out why I was the way I was and what I had to do to fix it and to to move on and, and pull myself together and get on with yeah. life, you know. But I, I, I'm glad I did. I didn't, I suppose, I didn't purposely do it. I went speaking to somebody about something else. Yeah. And then she was kind of chipping, chipping away at me and chipping yeah. away at me and trying to get to it. And I wasn't letting her get to it. And there was a lot of weeks of, will we talk about this? No, yeah. not yeah. talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's fine. That's fine. That's I look fine. like I've had those experiences. Like I've been to counsellors. I've been to psychotherapists and psychiatrists and I've done all that. Like, you know. So you have done a bit of work. I look, I've done that. Was sure like I was medicated for about 
three years, you know, I was on all sorts of antidepressants and antipsychics and stuff. I've done the soul searching, but I think that for some people, and this isn't a one size fits all piece of advice, for some people, you can just be okay with who yeah. you are, you know. That's not to say I don't get up and talk negatively to myself in the mornings, because I do frequently. But the thing about it is, is I know how to how how to manage myself and I know what to do on a daily basis to rectify maybe some of the negative traits that I might have. How did you learn that then? The same way as I learned everything else. So like any, any anything else that I ever learned, academic and otherwise, was just through banging my head off the wall until I got it. Like, do you mind talking about that time when you were medicated? No, no. What what triggered it then? What was the what was the starting point of that? What age were you? I was twenty one. Before, but, right, so yeah. before we get to that then, did you go straight from secondary school then to study pharmacy? Yeah. Straight in? Straight in. Where'd you go after? I went to Bradford. Um, Bradford? Yeah. Jeez, you make things awful difficult for yourself. I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> look at Right. In my father's infinite wisdom, he thought this fella could pull any sort of a stroke now on the leaving cert. He had me apply to all of the English and British universities as well to broaden my horizon, which was a good idea. And the way it worked at the time was was you could get, you could basically get approved in principle for a, a spot in, in Britain before you'd sat the, the exam. There was only one school that let me in, and that was Bradford. And um, so what basically... Mean, what do you mean let you in, though? Well... Uh, like my so you had to do this kind of like uh, exam aptitude test like it's called a UCAS test like for some of the health fields and my UCAS was horrific and anybody listening out there it's like the HPAT right so that's the exam that you need in addition to your leaving cert to get into medicine it's just like the HPAT and it's a nonsensical test right (laughs) Um, uh, thank god they didn't have it for pharmacy because you'd be one pharmacist down there'd be no way (laughs) no way so they they let me in, despite my dismal results in the U- UCAS or whatever it was called. And uh, that year was nothing short of an absolute disaster of a year. I went from being an amazing student to just a drinkist. All I did was drink pints, party, and not go to university. Passed my exams. I think I might have failed two of them, but they just wouldn't have me back, like... They wouldn't have me back. In my father's second year in a row of infinitesimal wisdom, he had deferred my college place that was offered to me by Cork because in the rechecks, I came up something phenomenal like 30 points, um, which is unheard of. So I hadn't made Cork on the first count and then I came up after the recheck my papers, savage amount of points, got into Cork and dad locally had the cute cop on to defer that for a year. So when they didn't want me back in England, I went to Cork, but it meant I had to start again. I couldn't transfer into second year. I had to start again. So I started again, and then, like, I was against the grain for the first two years. I had repeats, failed most of my exams first year, failed most of my exams second year, got in after spending the, stu- the summer studying, did it again in second year, and then in third year, then 
I had to repeat the year then in third year. I failed the exams again in third year. How does a man that he, he grows up eating books, knowing everything, trying to be the teacher in St. Gerald's, to going down then to the, the tutorial college, yeah. loving it. Yeah. Then you go into college and then you piss it all away. Yeah. What happened there? Where? How come you didn't have the same drive and ambition to eat the books in college as you had in well, what happened in England was is I was I was lonely I was completely adrift so there was the, the classes were enormous um, and the standard of education for the students around me where I came out of leaving cert like you know brightest Ireland had to offer that year I the standard of education that I had simply didn't match up to what they had like they had three A levels I had eight leaving search exams and theirs was far more refined. Their learning was more refined than mine. So when we sat into the chemistry exam or chemistry classes, they were already streets ahead of me. So I was behind. I was on the back foot. Culturally in Bradford, I stuck out like a sore thumb. There was nobody for me to kind of knock about with, like, you know, and there was a pub behind where I lived called Delius Lives Next Door. And that's just where the people were that I knew how to bond with were. Couple like, Irish lads on the side. Couple Irish yeah, couple Irish lads on the pints. And like they weren't going to college. They were working on sites and they were, you know, and then do you know whoever else they used to knock about with, like but you know, there wasn't very many of them any good, like so, so did you fall in with the wrong crowd again? Yeah, pretty much. Well, I was loneliness and then just an aversion to the books. The further I fell behind, the less likely I was to go and try and get it. So that was England. When I got to, when I got back to Ireland and started in UCC, I just, I still just didn't gel. Like I was just a, I was a square peg in a round hole, like just wasn't working. And I kept making things more difficult for myself than they needed to be for about another 18 months. And then it came crashing down then in third year. So they have these pass-fail boards, right? So you sit in front of your professors. And there was a particular lady on that board that was gunning for me. She was looking for me for a good while. But in third year, she got me. And I had to repeat the year because I I just, I just, I made an absolute balls of it. Like. But repeating that year is the best thing that could have happened to me. It was in that year then that uh, ultimately, uh, like up until then, I was medicated. So there was that was like 2012, 2013. And it's a bit of a blur, but that year, once I managed to steady the ship and I only had one exam subject for that year and I was able to just recuperate mentally. Um, like I hadn't had a break since long before the leaving search, you know, like it was fairly intense stuff. I was working really hard despite my failures. But I was also partying really hard and I was also just making my life just more complicated than it needed to be. And once I managed to right the ship, sure, I was sound in that. How did the medication come about? I, coming up to the exam time, went, I knew there was something wrong with me. And uh, I was no more than yourself, like when you were in secondary school. I went from being really active to, I damaged my leg drinking and... Because of that, I had rods and pins in my legs and I couldn't exercise properly. Didn't want to exercise anyway, but couldn't exercise properly. And I ended up in a situation where I just piled on the weight. And like people take the mick out of you for being short, but I am a good foot and a half shorter than you. <laughs> well, not a foot and a half. So I just ballooned like, like I was up near 17 stone and 
you know, Stop I'm five it. foot nothing. Yeah, there's pictures of me. Like, I'm 16-something in some of the pictures that I have. And when you're 16-something, that means you're all a 17. You know, like, that's that's just the way she goes, like. And uh, I bloomed and... Um, what height are you? I'm 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, I'd say. 5'4", probably. Okay. I'm short kings. But um, small man syndrome. Small man syndrome. Yeah, maybe that's the chip <laughs> on my shoulder that I always had. But uh, yeah, so look, like then I ended up in a situation where I knew I was going to fail the exams and uh, went to a counsellor. And the counsellor was like, she was actually the most helpful person I think I'd encountered in that entire time. And she was actually at the start of the journey. She referred me to the university, you know, GP. GP then got in contact, I think, with my family GP in Castlebar, sat the exams, failed them. You know, I was working part-time in a pharmacy. I was staying down in Cork for the summer. That was a bad idea as well. I ended up jacking it all in, like leaving the job. I came home weekend, one weekend and I was just completely done. And that was, say, say that was like, you know, a Friday. By the Wednesday, I was already prescribed medication. I was already taking it. By, I'd say about two weeks later, I was on you know, more medication. And I'd say about a month after that, I was probably on more medication again. That went on for a while and probably, you know, say the bones of a year or 18 months. And I went to one final healthcare professional, we'll say. And I thought it was going to be, she was hundreds of euros an hour. I thought this was going to be the analysis that was going to crack me. And she just told me what everybody else told me, or rather told my father, you know, because I couldn't be trusted, that I was probably taking drugs. I was probably abusing drugs. As a result, my general anxiety disorder and depression was as a result of the abuse of those drugs, which was wrong, like, because I wasn't. Granted, I looked a bit mad. I had big stretched ears, a lot of tattoos, you know, I had long hair. But, like, I wasn't. But you liked the sauce? Love sauce, Jesus. I still love a pint. Like, yeah. was like you know, at that time. So she wasn't too far away. I know it's not illegal, but no, like, she wasn't too far away. But at that time, what I wasn't doing was relying on it as a medicinal, like or as a medication. You know. But you're only saying this to make it sound better in your own head. I could be. Yeah. I could be. Yeah, no, I give you that. But you see, the thing is, is that some of the medications that I was taking, if I drank with them, I'd be here one second and I'd be, I'd be gone the next. Like, like and did you drink with them? I did, yeah, mm. yeah, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was bad. Now it was bad, and I only did it. I'd say if I did it twice. Um, but the lads in college had pictures of me in Cork in pubs, flat out asleep. And sure, it was because I was, I was drinking the medicines that I shouldn't have been drinking with, you know. Yeah. But um, turned that corner. Sure, that's all she wrote. Like, how did you turn the corner? Sure, how do you go from being on medication and drinking to turning the corner? I came out of that lady's office that day, and my father rang me, and he said, "How did it go?" And I was driving home from it, and I said, uh, "I said, you know what? She's just another one." And he said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Just another one. She's just gonna tell you what the rest of them told you." I said she didn't do anything other than just take down, you know, the answers to the questions that she had asked, and those questions were similar, the same or identical to what I'd been asked previously. She's going to draw the same conclusion. She did draw the same conclusion, right, wrong or indifferent. But at that stage, that was my magic bullet moment. It was a bright, sunny day. And I said, I'm going to deal with this. And you'd mentioned about my mom and dad being a great support network and having a, having a great relationship with them. I'm so thankful that they 
trusted me because it's really hard to trust somebody in that situation. And he said, fair enough, sound. So after that, then through the jigs and the reels over the course of months, came off all of the medication and I just, I just attacked life then after that then. I'm not just going to lie down and let things like been behind in a lecture or not having a friend group or something like that sway who I am or what I think of myself. I can get up and have conversations with myself and they're not always good. But I'm not going to be a victim of that negative narrative in the back of my head that spent the last three years dragging me down. So that's what I did. And, I just and it, was just, it was just that conversation with her? Literally. Literally, yeah. Yeah. So you could say she she did me a great And what favor. were you... Why <laughs> were you doing that? Were you doing it to spite her? Yeah. Yeah. To, to, pro- like to prove exams. her wrong. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like the exams. And this is, again, feeds into the idea of me not wanting to go and search out that ego death, you know. But it wasn't reverse psychology on her behalf. No, I don't think it was. She was. No, a, it was useless. It was a formative kind of first consultation. Right. But whether it was right or wrong, she, that lady had been hyped up to me so much and she was costing so much and everything that I thought this is going to be... It. Like, I, I got to that house, right? And a lady opened the door and she said, you take off your shoes. And I thought, that's deep. Leave your problems at the door, you know? And they had a library. And she said, sit sit into the library and she'll be out to you now in a minute. And I said, sound. I was sitting in there with no shoes in the middle of the summer <laughs> thinking... This is good now. This is good stuff. Yeah, this, this, this is why. Good. This why I paid the big this money. Is, this is now. <laughs> this is going to be it now. This is like this is the butter you reach for. A like, big you know? shag pile of carpet. Oh man, it's a bit like here. A bit like this one. <laughs> I got that one for free. But go on anyway. Did you yeah, gift it? Master carpets. Fucking hell. <laughs> go on. What go. else am I looking at that you got for? <laughs> pretty, pretty much everything. <laughs> go on. Yeah, well, like I went in and then it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I came out and I was like, that's more of the same. Except this time, instead of it being part of, say, for example, university infrastructure, where I could call in and get seen to, and I had individual, I felt listened to. This person was extracting lots of money out of us. And I just felt, it just felt unsavory to me. And I was like, who's going to help me other than me, basically? Right. Did you ever feel bad uh, about your dad paying for these consultations? Yeah, yeah, I actually... Did you genuinely? Yeah, I did, but like, to be honest with you, I felt worse about the fact that my dad had to put up what he had to put up with, and, and my parents in general. Like, I was completely basket But you, basket you feel that in hindsight, you don't feel it at the time. No, I did. I did feel it at the time, because I'd do something that, like, dragged the whole family down, you know. How many is in your family? I have three sisters, so there's four kids, and mum and dad, you know, and where where do you come in the pecking order? I'm the first, and I'm the only boy. That's right. So, you said that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've got this golden child. Supposedly went off. He did what he was supposed to do. He's bumpy road, like, but generally good. And then he gets to university, and the first one doesn't want him back, and the second one's trying to kick him out. Like, what's wrong with this fella? Like, why can't he get his fucking life together? Like, mm. you know. And then I felt that, and then. Before I was medicated, I'd go out and self-medicate. I'd completely, I'd abuse alcohol and then I'd come home and I'd do something. Like, you know, I'd break my leg or I'd, it's not, something else had happened. Like, I'd get into a tip and the whole house then would be in disarray because this belligerent young fella who won't just get on with it. What do you mean get into a tip? Oh, like, we'd be in car crashes. Myself and the lads would get into tips 
we'd be out late at night in questionable cars with you know bad tires and no brakes and we'd drive it into a hedge like and we'd need to be pulled out at four o'clock in the morning that type of crap were you ever arrested no i was threatened with it a good few times but I was lucky, like I just was, you know, I was a couple of close calls, it was a couple of life events that, you know, I probably should have been arrested like, but I wasn't. So let's try and fast forward a little bit then. So yeah. you, you you turned your life around, you went back to college, things started going well. Yeah. And you finished college. I did. Did you have to repeat any more years? No. So you so instantly turned your yourself around, you started studying, you started mm. passing exams. Yeah. Did you go back into that other one that wanted you out? remember your one you said you sat I on the actually, board yeah she she crossed my path one more time in final year and I was doing so well in final year one of my lecturers stopped me in the street one day and said what are you doing I said what do you mean and she said I corrected your exam and I was really trying hard now like like and uh I said yeah I'm sure there's room for improvement there and she said no you got a 90 you failed literally every exam I've ever given you how in the name of God have you gone from that I said I'm applying myself and uh, she was incredulous, like like she would borderline insinuate and I, I must be cheating. What's going on here? Mm. But she believed me and uh, was working really hard. And I, I crossed paths with that, with the individual that was trying to see me out of the university one more time at the end of the year. And it was on Ebola. And uh, the project I was presenting was about Ebola. And this lady happened to be an expert in it. She wasn't going to be told by anybody, in particular me anything about Ebola and my father warned me going in like you know do not get into an argument with this particular just, lady just tell her what she wants to hear yeah and just get back out just get the marks and shut up I sure I ended up in a thicken so you you re-studied Ebola and you reassessed it and you had a different opinion to her basically yeah <laughs> <laughs> story of my life Alan story of my life yeah I'm my own worst enemy oh you, know? you were so yeah. close Oh, so close. But, like, it didn't harm me. I got out. It's like watching one of those Netflix documentaries, like, where they, you know, somebody writes their life and then they're going for a football scholarship and you're saying, just don't hang around with the gangs on the street. Just, you're nearly there. You're nearly there. And at the last minute, they get in trouble. Well, and they just about get away with it. It was like that. I just about got away with so that. So she agreed to disagree with you? Well, no, we had an argument and I thought there was going to be more of it, but there wasn't. Like, once I left the room, that was the end of it. We had we had a tiff in the class and that was about it. Right, so it sounded like a real personal thing rather than a factual thing. It might have been. I don't think the... I don't think the... It sounds to me like she went and said, well, he's not right, but he's not wrong. Yeah. Feck him. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah, I'll, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Right, so you came out of college then. Come out of college. When you came out of college then, were you as high up the pecking order as you were uh, when you came out of your leaving search? Like, were you a, a, no, no. a, a grade A student? I was a grade A student finishing finishing college. Um, were, you, but I, were you sought after? Like? No, no, no. But, like, that's not the way pharmacy works, you okay, know? Okay, well, my apologies. Like, and, and I would, just like... <laughs> no, I wouldn't know how it works. That's why That's why it's, we're here. Luckily, for me, they, they don't look at grades you know you just need to get out and then it's about your ability in front of the people you know so luckily for me I've got the gift of the gab <laughs> at the counter yeah. and I can chat to people and you know people generally like to chat back so um, I got on, I got on pretty well when I got out um, you have these big loops in your ear from, yeah. from when you had the earrings yeah 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 the stretched earrings yeah so you have big holes now in your ears 
Yeah. When did you lose them? Cat's arse, as somebody told me. A cat's arse, yeah, similar <laughs> enough. When did you lose them? When I qualified. You took them out and yeah. you said, right, time T- to cop on Took now. them out. Well, I just, I, like, in fairness to the old deers coming into me, how are they supposed to take health advice from a fellow with two huge big... Like, they were, you know, they were nearly 40 millimetres wide each. Like, there they were big holes in my ears. Um, so, like, how are they supposed to take somebody seriously... In fairness to them, like you're talking to a particular generation of Irish people. Right. They're, you're going to meet open-minded people, but you can't expect them all to be. So you have to give them the opportunity to take the advice where it's given. And I understood that. Like, like so my, my partying, the tattoos, stretched ears, all that type of stuff, that's fine. We'll park it like... So you, you know. started wearing long sleeve shirts, was it? Or yeah. Hiding, yeah. Hiding the tattoos. Hiding tattoos, yeah. Took out the stretched ears. Took out the stretched ears, yeah. And made yourself look a bit more... Presentable, as presentable. my father would say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And how did you get on and work then as a as a pharmacist? Uh, fine. So, like, when you come out, like, at that stage, you do your four years, and then your master's year, you'd work for the duration of the master's year. So you'd work and study. And then you do, you know, your master's thesis, whatever it is, at the end of it. And then your exams, your qualifying exams. And that's you then. You're a pharmacist after that year. So it's five years in total. And you've got your master's degree at the end of it. So when I left Cork, I had a bachelor's. And then you joined the Royal College of Surgeons and you do your 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 master's with them and you work at the same time. So you shadow like a tutor pharmacist for the year. Um, so I did that here in town and I got on fantastic. Like, like I absolutely, I just repeated what I was doing, stuck to the plan, got up, went training every morning, worked really hard, uh, studied lots. And flew the year. Not a problem. During this time, so you came out of that lady's office and you said, I'm going to apply myself. I'm going back to college. I'm going to sort my life out. Yeah. From that day until this day now that we're talking about. Yeah. Were there any wobbly moments? Yeah, loads. And did you go back on the beer? No. Um, my relationship with beer now is is actually the way, in inverted commas, a healthy person would have a relationship with beer. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Um, like few, I, few pints of the weekend few pints of the weekend like like and I do overindulge in, like I love a beer and I'm a great man for a whiskey as you well know but I am a great man for sitting on a couch like this talking to you or talking to my brother-in-law or some of the lads having a whiskey it's not how much whiskey can I drink and how much do I have to drink before I forget about all these problems right you know so there was plenty of wobbly bits like my first job I moved to Wexford disaster straight up disaster um but nothing of any longevity no no like uh, i you know i was very resilient moving down i had a great head in my shoulders but i was too far from home the responsibilities of life rent electricity paying for water all that type of stuff any like. women along the way there was there any long-term relationships roughly in university i had one long-term relationship but it was toxic like and then how long was that uh on and off probably 18 months two years maybe and then, like, and toxic on my part, like, sure, I, I couldn't, be, couldn't be told, and I still can't be told, but I was in bad shape at that stage, like, so I was difficult. And I came out, and I was on my own, and I was better on my own. I was actually quite content. I lived on my own, and trained on my own, studied on my own, and I socialised on Saturdays only. And I got a good social outlet in college, like. Then when I finished, and, we, and just shortly before I moved to Wexford, actually, so I moved to Wexford in October, that it was around then that I met Ola. I met Ola in October of 16 and three weeks after we met, we moved in together in Wexford. So she moved with me. What was she doing down there? 
She's nothing. She just came with me. We tried getting her work, like, but oh, she didn't have on. a plan. You met her in Castlebar. I did, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah. and you brought her to Wexford. Yeah, I said, wow. "Come on, man, head down here." Uh, you, you remind uh, me of like a queen bee. You can only move three miles at a time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't like being too far away. No, uh, like I, I don't seem to like been too far away. The narrative in my head is different. Like you know, I don't, I don't look at myself as a homebird. But I don't look at you as a as a staunch Mayo person that loves Mayo either. Yeah. You don't strike me as somebody that's Mayo mad. No, I don't know what it is. The thing is, is that I have my corners of Mayo that I die for. I don't need to go to Lanzarote to cook like a side of bacon for two weeks. <laughs> Send me to Ackle. Give me a kayak. Give yeah. me a surfboard. Give me a couple of pints in the evening. Yeah. And me lunch across the road in the afternoon and I'm happy out like so you're in doing pharmacy and you're working away things are great I have a question for you yeah do pharmacists think they're better than GPs yeah are pharmacists better than GPs it depends (laughs) (laughs) in general why do you think there's an awful bit of rivalry there isn't there there is and the thing is is that the lines are blurred right a GP at their at the fundamentals of what a G- GP is, they're a diagnostician, right? They diagnose you and they attribute, the, like they basically point you in the direction of what you should be taking as a result of that illness, whatever that illness may be. That's a role, right? Yeah. And then pharmacists are experts in drugs. Um, and And the problem is, is the modern pharmacist is more than an expert in drugs because drugs have become so complicated that they also have to understand understand the disease state. Now, the trick of that is, is um, the diagnostics of the disease state we tend not to concentrate on all too often. Now, there's clinical pharmacists that would be excellent at that. Um, but generally speaking, a community pharmacist is an expert on the drug and knows a lot about various different types of procedures and illnesses. So to the layman like me, does that mean that the pharmacists are constantly upskilling on the drugs, whereas the GPs are just still focused on the illness? Uh, yeah, no. Like, the GPs be all the time upskilling as well. Like, are they? You yeah. know, okay. like, when I said... <laughs> I'm sure upskilling isn't even the right word, but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, the professional development. Professional you know, that's development. That's the fancy word. But it is, it's just upskilling. Like, yeah. you know, like if you were a mechanic and this new socket came out, like, you'd know about it. Or if you were a plumber and there was a better U-bend, you'd know about it. It's just that, except mm. it's humans and it's mechanics of humans. And you have and to do exams. Yeah, yeah. So every five years you get picked at random. You have to continually maintain a portfolio of professional development. They say to you, right, produce all your development over the last five years and you produce it. And then at random out of that bunch of people, they pick you for an exam. You're up to Dublin, you sit the exam and the exam is pass fail. Now, there's plenty of opportunity for pharmacists to show if they have a bad day at the office and the exam doesn't go their way. It's not the end of the world. But, yeah, you do. (laughs) I don't know if if you'll appreciate this question. How often do you question a uh, prescription? Oh, every every single day. Oh, would you ring a doctor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd say you're a right bollocks. I'm a bit of a fucking nuisance. <laughs> I'd say the doctor's receptionist is going, yeah. hey, sorry, doctor, this prick is on the yeah, phone again. This absolute <laughs> dose. Yeah. Pharmacists, some dose. Do, yeah. ma- do many pharmacists that you know of do that? Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. But it's not, you see, the thing is, is without getting into the weeds on it, it's not the GP's fault. It's not the professional's fault. It's the GP-centric system. The traditional system, right, means that all of the pressure in the community is lumped on to the GP. And as medicine expands and evolves and changes, one individual or two individuals in rural Mayo cannot be expected to deal with the workload that they've been expected to deal with. Ultimately, the traditional system of a GP-centric system is fragmented and failing, right? So it's falling apart. It's it's fundamentally flawed for the modern world. That is not the individual's problem or fault, right? So they're working in that environment. Mistakes happen. The, the role of the pharmacist is you are the last point of contact. You are the safety net between them and the, and the patient. So that's why you phone. So it's not even a rivalry thing. It's necessity. And it's an awful lot of the work and an awful lot of the shouting that I do in Dublin. It's about that exact problem. An awful lot of the prescriptions that we get, for one reason or another, need amendments made. There mightn't be errors, but there might be, you know, small discrepancies in what the prescription is versus what, what's been presented. Um, and, like, you know, quantities or allergies or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, often, often, yeah. But I have a good relationship with everybody around me, so everything's fine. <laughs> a good relationship, according to you. I'm going to have a GP on this next week. And yes, we'll see. We'll see what he says. B or B homes make your dream home a reality. We do it all from start to finish. Your one-stop shop to becoming a homeowner. Log on to brbhomes.ie. You say yourself that the GP system in Ireland is flawed. Yeah, is it only Ireland? Or is it the system in general? No, it's the system in general. But what I know about is Ireland. And like as a result... Well, you don't know any country where it's not flawed. Do you know? I I don't. Because like if you... Any westernised country, this is a problem. And then anywhere that's not a westernised country without overgeneralisation and everybody getting exercised, realistically, doesn't have a healthcare system that gets gets the opportunity to suffer from this f- first world problem like it's a symptom of being in the first world you know we have a national infrastructure and it's not working because we have too many people relying on it and we don't have enough individuals employed in it and there's it's multifaceted there's a lot of reasons for that like but some of them political and what would you, you know, change I don't want to get into the details now, but you... Yeah, are, you, like, you, to be honest, you, I'd expand the role of, of lots of different healthcare professionals first. Right, you are involved in various different boards. And yeah. Lately, you were... Re-elected to the Pharmaceutical Society of Ireland, which is the state regulatory body for pharmacy. Uh, That's a, a big deal. Rep. They tell me it's a big deal, yeah. No, but it is like, a big deal. Well, like, I don't necessarily see it as... Like, I see it as an op- opportunity and an obligation, you know? Like, it's an opportunity for me to get in and do something about the problems that I see. How many people are on this board? There's 21 council members. And how many pharmacists are there in Ireland? Roughly. 6,000-ish. So 21 out of 6,000. Well, they're not all pharmacists on, on the board now. Like, so there's lay members and they're appointed by the Minister for Health. No, but I'm just trying to break it down for a stupid person like me. I'm trying to 21, 21 out of 6,000. 21 people 6, 000, out of 6,000, Makes yeah. it sound like a big deal. It, it kind of, yeah, well, if you want to spin it that way, like we've You're phone up the You're trying to Im- implement change <laughs> for 6,000 people. Yeah, 
yeah and, and make their lives well moreover like for the public right so the whole point is is that you're there to safeguard the public right so the decisions that are made in that room influence what can happen in pharmacies by pharmacists and that in turn then is to safeguard the community and the public it's not to manage it's to manage the professionals so that you mind the people it's not to help the professionals the union is another job I have, an elected representative in the union, the Irish Pharmacy Union, and and regionally, like, for employees. And, and that role is to help the profession. How do you have um, any time really, for really pints at the weekend? Well, luckily, none of these meetings happen at the weekend, so it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so back, back to the question then where I, I said, what would you do to fix this flawed system? You know, is there anything... You vary the role of the individuals that are employed in the system, right? Like, so like who? Nurses and pharmacists and dentists and the people the people that are part of the community health infrastructure. Uh, wh- right? How do you vary their role? Well, you expand it. Like so, like we like our our universities are training these individuals to an incredibly high standard, right? So, like I'm on the national midwifery board as well. Like so, I know on their on their registration committee, and so I know like the criteria that individuals have to meet to become a registered midwife. And, like, it's exceptional. The standard is is phenomenal. And in pharmacy, like, in Cork, the basement is a mock setup for uh, a lab where you make chemotherapeutic drugs. Like, there has nobody been taught that stuff. Like, it's phenomenal. Unbelievable education. And we don't get to use it when we come out. Like, we're taught how to vaccinate a standard in university. But you have to come out and do an extra course when you qualify so that you're licensed to do it. And you have to renew that every two years in Ireland. So, like, I get rid of all of those, you know, that type of red tape. Let's like, talk about your own house then. And, yeah. And let's say, what what practices would you like to see a pharmacist doing that, that, they, that they're not doing? Minor, minor illness, illness prescribing. So, you come in, in with a sore throat. You come in with a sore throat. an antibiotic over yeah. the counter. Yeah, yeah. And that's standard. That That's fairly standard. That should happen. It doesn't happen. And it should. And there's no need for you to sit in the doctor's office. Pay him 50, 60 euros. Well, you're, that's the bit you're concerned about. I'm talking about the strain on the system, Alan. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're, you're a private patient. You're paying 50, 60 euros. You're right. Yeah. yeah. You're right. To be you're told, right. you have a sore throat. And then yeah. you have to go across the road to the chemist and pay another 35 euros. Yeah. That's fair. That's um, fair. And, and that, that 85 euros or 95 euros is your, is your walking around money that week. Yeah. Yeah, or it could be even less. It mm. could be this week and next week's walk Absolutely. around money. Yeah, you know. So, how, is that possible? Do you, it is. Do it you is. ever see it like, happening? So, the minor ailment scheme will happen. It a hundred percent. I can promise you, it's going to happen. That's um, a very. Um, you said that now, like you're like you're part of Fina Gael or Fina Fall there. Well, that that sounded like a very watery promise. The brilliant, the watery. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I come over here to it, get insulted. No. <laughs> That that absolutely will happen. Came out very quickly. It's going to happen. The the fact of the matter is, is whether or not I'm politically inclined, it has to happen. the The system isn't going to rise. There's lots itself. of things that have to happen, Mark. That that probably aren't going to happen. Like, give me an example. Like, like the the state of the hospitals and the hospital beds and the overcrowding. I thought you were going to say about my yacht, but no, like, no. But I'm just saying, like, there's lots of things that me and you can say, sit here and say, well, it has to happen. Well, it it does. Yeah, no, you're you're correct, right? So the state of the hospitals. But the thing is about like looking at a hospital is is that you don't have enough of the technical infrastructure like so it's not down to just individuals like whereas in community it can be just down to individuals they're already trained 
when technology. Do you, when do you see it happening? The next five years. Yeah. If not in the next 18 months. Changes in the waters. And there's a couple of kind of variables there. That's going to hurt to GP now. It will. But to be honest with you, the more... The more a GP can focus on their core practice and not be dealing with sticky eyes for five minutes at a time. No, but if I'm a if I'm a green eyed GP, yeah, and I love making fifty euros every twenty minutes on sticky eyes, yeah, am I going to be thrown out now and go, hang on now a second? Well, you mightn't be making fifty euros every ten minutes on sticky eyes because it might be a state scheme that you're coming in under. Like, so you be you could be a medical care patient, like, and they still get they still get paid for that though. They do, but they do, not, but it's not it's yeah. not it's not the readies. Like, you're not Del Boy Trotter there, like you okay. know. Um, but that's what I do. I'd expand the role of the pharmacists, right, or I'd expand the role of the healthcare professionals in the community so that they could take on more, so that there wouldn't be as much burden on just specific individuals. Do you envisage a kickback from GPs? A kickback? Resistance yeah. to that? A certain amount of it. Yeah, a certain amount of it. You're always going to have people that don't don't want change. It doesn't matter what, what change you're talking about. The case study that I'd reference would probably be the UK. There was big pushback for having pharmacists involved in GP practices over there doing medication use reviews. That's just where they go over elderly, generally, and elderly people's medications and make sure are all of those medications warranted? Like, should you be on them? Is there a need to be on them? And there was a big pushback on that. But now they won't let the pharmacists leave the GP practice because there's so many there's so many valuable like experiences and learnings from that since its imp- implementation that they're just they're unwilling to roll it back and i'd argue that the same would probably happen here i think that for every voice of dissent there's probably going to be 10 voices of yeah but i'm here till nine o'clock at night catching up because i'm flat out i wonder could a pharmacist lessen the workload and help me Right. You know, I think there's probably going to be a lot of that too. And you're never going to make everybody happy, you know. This is about the public. I'm more concerned about the public than I am either or the professions until I'm inside in the union. I understand sure. that, but there's very p- powerful people in very powerful positions that will stop it no matter what the benefit is to the public. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I was until in- they meet the Minister for Health and then when he says this is what's happening, then that's what's happening, you know. Mm. And in fairness, he's proven himself to be able to make decisions. Implementing the contraceptive scheme for ladies between, I think it's 16 and 26, the free hormonal contraceptive, like that was an overnight job. And grand pharmacists, GPs, whoever can give out about it. But for the public, focusing on the individuals, that is an invaluable scheme. That should have been there 10 years ago. And he just did it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I suppose I'm a bit uh, sceptical at the moment because yeah. I was on Ireland AM this morning talking about the overcrowding in the hospital mm. with an experience my mum had and two doctors were to come in and they didn't show up. Yeah. So someone somewhere obviously put pressure on these two doctors. You think? And said, don't go in there. Yeah. And do you know, my experiences like would be aligned with yours. I know that those underhanded tricks happen and can happen, yeah. probably do happen. But we have to be able to, my opinion on this and my role in professional politics is to be that individual who's not going to listen to the inv- advice in inverted commas that those people might have got over yeah. the phone. Because like, it, it doesn't come as a threat, like, it's advice. Come here till I ask you, now that, now that we're talking here about over-the-counter stuff. Um, yeah. I was in a chemist in Galway a couple of weeks ago. And on the shelf, there was uh, the packs of the, the multivitamin that you're not 
<laughs> you're not, you always tell me I'm not a fan of that multivitamin. A, well, sure, Jesus. It's their marking. Okay, shower right. It. So there's, <laughs> there's a full <laughs> shelf of this multivitamin here. Yeah. And beside it is Viagra. Yeah. Can you get that over the counter? Yeah, now? sure can. I thought a man like you now would know all about that. Oh, well, no, I don't. Thank God. T- touch wood. <laughs> I don't need to be buying it over the counter just yet. <laughs> but I need to future proof myself. <laughs> That's just an over-the-counter job now. It is. I couldn't believe the shelf that yeah. like it had such dominance on the yeah. shelf. Yeah, And yeah. is that the same one as the doctor would have given it's you? It's the OG one. That's Viagra brand Viagra. So you walk in now and you say, oh yeah, can I get uh, sure can. a pack of Fisherman's Friends and a box of the blue ones? There? Yeah, you can, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a two-minute consultation with the pharmacist. And then the pharmacist gives you a little card at the end of it to Go say on, you've done here. the consultation. Can we do the consultation? Ah uh, yeah, well we'll do a run. We'll do a, a brief version of the consultation, right? Why? Because I have to whip it out, is it? No, no, no. What? It's it's understood that you know it's not it's not exactly living up to its fullest potential, right? When you come in and ask for it, so we don't have to ask you about let's that. Do, let's do the role play, right? Right. So I walk in. So you walk in. How are you doing? How are you? Uh, come here. I was with herself last night, and we went down to the bedroom, and nothing happened down below. Have you anything for me? I sure do. See that over my shoulder there. Revive active. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, that's magic stuff yeah, altogether. You're dehydrated and low on vitamin C. <laughs> That'll be 55 euro, please. No, but, the, the, uh, the stuff beside it. The stuff beside it, the so, blue ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have boxes of fours and boxes of eights. If you have two minutes, we stand into the consultation room and we'll have a quick chat. Right, let's make go. Make sure I don't poison you. Let's go. Right, so we go into the consultation room, right. crack open the door, close it behind us, and... The first thing out of my mouth is, are you on any long-term medicines? No. Do you have any heart disease? No. Do you have any history of blood disorders? No. No. Do you have any liver or kidney problems? No, thank God. That's kind of the bones of it. And there's a myriad of questions that we go down through like that to make sure that if I give you this, I'm not going to sicken you, hospitalise you or kill you. Right. And at the end of it, in 99.9% of the cases... I end up finishing off by saying, this will probably give you a headache. If it does, don't worry too much about it. It's the tablet that gave it to you. But you might want to reduce the dose the next time or come back to me. We'll have a chat about it. You know, there's there's kind of aftercare that goes with that. So if I sign off on it and you're happy and I'm happy and I'm not going to poison you, there's a form that we fill out and at the bottom of it is a little card. I sign it, stamp it and I give it to you. You stick that in the wallet then the next time you come in, there's none of that. You just hand me the slip. You say, I have a packet of Fisherman's Friends. Yeah. You hand me the slip on the quiet. And I say, no bother, Alan. I have you. Do you want four or eight? And you tell me how many you want. And away we go. Right. So let's play devil's advocate here. So the next time I go in, it's Mary. And, and Mary's not a pharmacist. Yeah. Uh, do I have to ask for you? or do You I, do. I say, how he is. Is the pharmacist around? They will, they will, they will refer to me. Uh, but they, I, don't, I don't say to Mary, how are you, Mary? Uh, where's Mark? No, you you don't. Like Mary can sell it to you once she sees the slip. She'll she'll have a quick chat with me, just to, to and I might have a peek out, and I'll be like, oh, that's Alan. Yeah, spoke with Alan there. That sounds mortifying. You it know, is, but it all I, happens without you noticing. I'm it, like. standing here at the counter, and then I see you peeking around. Oh, you, oh yeah, that's your man. That yeah, that's your man that can't get it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, basically though, and it's the same. It's the same. Same loads of different medicines. If you come in from Hotelium, I'll have to do the same. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, let's stay on this one now because it's a man. It's a man thing, and there's four or eight. Yeah. So that's that's four different sessions. Sessions. Yeah. 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 
and so you said there might be a headache. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes so it like might a go common the, side effect. Be a headache or flushing. It might go to the wrong head. Is right, yeah. Like it, it dicks about with your blood pressure. You know, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's interesting. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, well, I suppose it is. It's in. It's interesting to sit down and chat about, I think, probably, there's not enough shouting about men's health, you know. Like, I was a bit miffed that it took that long for it to come off prescriptions, stuff like that. And then the system that's in place, you rightly pointed out, it's not very friendly to the feelings or the emotions of the individual that has to ask for the medication. Sure, it's not. No, no. And I often wondered, like, I don't want to remove the personal kind of touch, like where I chat to you and I ask you about stuff, because the pharmacist has the opportunity, if they're experienced enough, to be able to watch your body language and kind of read it and then maybe ask a little bit more, like, into one question or another, and it mightn't have been a closed answer, and it might have been, and, you know, if there's something that needs to be teased out. But generally speaking... There's value in a form as well. Yeah. If you want something, read down through that there. And the reason I'm, I'm talking about this, and you know, you'll have people listening to this going, oh, Jesus, he obviously can't, and he, that's why he's asking for himself. I, I was fascinated because, you know, I'm big into marketing. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm, I come from a retail background. Yeah. And when you see the amount of shelf space this gets, mm. what I think is someone somewhere is paying an awful lot of money for all that shelf space. Yeah. And then you say to yourself, what's going on here? And I, I start thinking the whole marketing side of thing and mm. the, the whole, the back end of thing, right? So how has this product got two huge shelves up there? Mm. And how is it so dominant beside this, this multivitamin that's yeah. really dominant at the moment? And the two of them are beside each other. Yeah. And I'm here going, can I get a box of that there that's 65 euros or whatever? And I couldn't take my eyes off this, the, the two shelves. And I was thinking, ah, this is madness. Well, it's to do with the margin then as well. Like, There's nobody paying for a bay. It's a high profit item. Or oh, the pharmacist and, makes a lot of money on it. Well, somebody's making money off it somewhere. Well, that's interesting. You know, then, like yeah. the wholesalers, I'd say, are probably making a fair old lick off it. Like, I'll do like, the same. Like, and I'm not just talking about Viagra. I'll do, yeah. the, I'll do the same in Dunn's. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I look at the end of Dunn's and I'll say, Barry's Tea there have a whole shelf mm. to themselves. And mm. you say... How did that happen? And and I get that from when I brought out the cookie gym. Mm, yeah. I went around to every supermarket in the country. Yeah. And you see who has the dominance. Yeah. And you see the big players. Yeah. And you say, well, he has three faces. Yeah. And I might get one face. Yeah. And but do you think about it? Do you think that that was, that was about the fact that you're the newcomer and the value in the brand respective to the brand that you maybe you were pegging yourself against? Absolutely. Because this, be, this would be that like. Yeah. Those are the high ticket items. Revive. Yeah. Viagra and then the other thing is is that Viagra has to be sold from behind the counter it can't be available for self-selection right so that means that if you're going to advertise it you better advertise it because nobody's going to be able to put their hand on it it has to be up and visible so there's four in a pack then and you can yeah. use it four times yeah and then after the four times then if, if he's still not working yeah what happens then you just go back you and get another four you just go back yeah. yeah and is it not yeah. a is there not another issue there? No. Well, there there is like you, you can see just keep using it long term. You can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, impotence happens to people, and it's a fact of life. Men get older; they start to there are they have hormone changes, just like any other human being, and their testosterone drops, and that has a massive impact then on their libido or their ability, and then in turn then subsequently they need assistance, and mm. that's your assistance. Like then there's other 
contributing factors. They might have health problems. Like, so if it's a prescribed medicine, where it would have been up until recently enough, it's prescribed as a result of some other disease state. Like, so they might be suffering from a myriad of things. Okay, like, okay. And subsequently, they'd be they'd need it all the time because they I, still have to live their life. You know, I'd find it very difficult because there's no, you never see the pharmacist at the counter. No. You're no. always met by Mary or Martin yeah, yeah. at the front cash desk. Yeah. And it's... It's you're... a sin, isn't it? Yeah, well, well, is it? I don't know. Uh, I think it is. Like, the, the best you, part would, of my job is that, like... Would you rather be at the front? Oh, would, yeah. And you're at the back counting pills yeah. instead? There's a publican in town there used to walk into the shop that I, I trained in. And he used to always say, how long were you working in pubs? And I never told him, like, but it, it wasn't very long. It was probably about six or eight months. And I'd say, ah, well... Because he used to always say, well, you're leaning up against that cash register like it's a tap. That's the way I was, I presented myself. And I liked that. People liked coming talking to me and I liked talking to them. And I don't have that opportunity as much anymore, you know. I go to great lengths to do it where I am now because of the nature of the business. I'm awful lucky that I have a great relationship with my GP. Yeah. You know, and he's, yeah. he's a young fella and... Um, I could say anything to him. Yeah. And I could get him to check anything. That's the way it should be. But it's very hard to have that with a pharmacist. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, that'll change as you get older, you know. Older people care less about the environment, the public environment. Whereas younger people, I find, the more private and intimate the environment, the more comfortable they are with the individual, as long as they're comfortable with that individual like you are, you know. So like, and it's a one-to-one in a closed room, you can talk about your ghoulies. Can you go into a pharmacist and say... Is there any chance I could have a word with you? Yeah, 100%. We all have consultations room. Consultation room is the law. You have to have it. And does that happen Does that happen often? Oh, yeah, three or four times a day. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that now. Yeah, yeah, often, often. Oh, well, that's Depends good. Depends practice like, yeah. And another thing I was talking about this morning, I wasn't saying it on the telly, but off air I was saying how humiliating and degrading it is to go into A&E and you go up to the yeah. counter and the woman at the counter asks you, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And there's 40 people sitting behind you that can all hear what's wrong, what's with, wrong you? with you and at the end yeah. of the day what difference does it make to that woman in the reception it doesn't yeah. not a bit it doesn't but you have to tell her but I suppose from the point of view of that individual because of the strain of the system again yeah. she needs to be able to basically categorise you but it's madness that she's categorising you yeah yeah but somebody has to take the rough end and has to say right Alan he's this age he's this gender this is wrong this is what's wrong with him like Dr. Joe out the back isn't going to want to see him yeah. until after Dr. Joe deals with the 24-year-old girl who's six months pregnant and has a bleed. But if you go in and get a driving license renewed, yeah. you sit down in a, in a cubicle mm. and you pull a curtain behind yourself. Yeah, yeah. And you have more privacy getting your driving license renewed than you do in any. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's a keen observation, yeah. But the pace through the NDLA or whatever you call them isn't the isn't equivalent to the pace that you see in the emergency department. But even if the counter had a had even had if a you, screen, if you stepped into a yeah a booth, yeah. I know, I agree with you. I, I agree I with just you. I hate yeah. that thing. I hate yeah. that where everyone in any can hear your, yeah. your problem, and it's a little bit similar in pharmacies. I didn't know you had the consultation. Yeah, it can so be. Great. It, can, it can can be similar in pharmacies. And to my point about getting older, like is that it seems to me that when you get older, you you prefer the informal environment, and you're less likely to want to sit in a really intimate setting with somebody like the doctor's office. And for those people, it really benefits them. But we have consultation rooms, and all you have to do is make sure you have fifteen minutes to play with, 
if you have 15 minutes, go in, tell your pharmacist, I need to talk to you, or tell the girls, tell the lads at the counter. Good. Yeah. Um, we're going to run out of time quickly here, so let's go back to COVID times. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you do you believe in the whole COVID thing? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I do. But in hindsight... Are you a supporter of the vaccine? Yeah. And you still think it was the right thing to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like we, they were the tools that we had at the time to deal mm. with what we were going to deal with, you know. But even though you know now that people have died from taking the vaccine and people have, yeah. are seriously ill. Yeah, yeah. You still think yeah. it was the right thing to do? It was the right thing to do so far as to say that I don't, what else, what else were we going to do? Like, the, my, my main problem now, right, at the moment, isn't that the vaccine wasn't good enough. It was good at preventing serious illness. Right. Is it is it a thing that, that the normal Joe Soap thinks that if we just waited it out, we'd be in the same place as we are now? Like, does the normal Joe Soap think, right, well, I heard Mary died from taking the vaccine. Yeah. And if we all just said no, we'd we'd have got to where your, we are your now. Your deaths would have been higher, though. Your deaths would your have been deaths higher. Your deaths would have been higher. And then... Much higher. Yeah, probably a good bit higher. And then in addition to that, then you'd have a cohort of patients that would far exceed the cohort that we have now who would be suffering from long COVID. And that that then in turn would be putting even more pressure on the fundamentals of our infrastructure like hospitals like you were discussing. And that, you know, that has been largely avoided. My issue with the vaccine is currently in how it was administered, how it was rolled out. And the... Uh, notable inflammatory side effects suffered as a result of the vaccine. The vaccine doesn't discriminate between the between cells, and without getting down into the weeds in it, it causes mass inflammation, and that's why an awful lot of people had these adverse events as a result of the vaccine. Even myself, my blood pressure went wacky, like I had mad heart rates and stuff like that. Um, Did you speak about that? No, because it actually happened after all of the. It happened, at, like, I've had four doses. So on my last dose, that's when I, I paid attention to what I was suffering from. See, the thing is, is when I was paying attention to this stuff, I didn't have the opportunity to be measuring my heart rate. I was training in a shed on my own. Like, so by the time I got the fourth dose, I was back in the gym. I was holding on to heart monitors. I was, you know, I was training hard with, like, proper gym equipment. And I was like, this isn't me. Why is my heart rate all over the place? And... You know, I got the once over then from my own GP. So are you not pissed off then that that has happened to you from a vaccine? Like, uh, Yeah, but I recovered from it. Um, and I'm not so sure as many people would have recovered from contracting COVID. So what would you have done differently? Is there anything at the time that you, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to sit here now and say, mm. what, what, what would you have done differently? Because yeah. that's, you know, we, we know so much now. But is there anything at the time that you weren't comfortable with that happened? It, the things that I'm uncomfortable with, I, I don't have a solution to the problems that I observed at the time. I, I've thought about them. Right, I don't know what fair. I do about them. Yeah. The isolation of, of people. Like yeah, well, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to put a gun to your head. I'm no, just, I'm just wondering like, if there's anything that jumped out at you. No, there was there was nothing as such. Like, like, and I think like the structures that they imposed on the population and the rules that they imposed on the population. Like the nine euro meal and stuff. Uh, all that stuff just pissed me off. Like, that just annoyed the back. That was pointless. Like, what the... What in the name of... Like, I'd forgotten about that till you brought it up there. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. What a... That was so... But, like, what I'm talking about, like, is the restrictions... Restricting people to a homestead and some people been cast out and been left on their own 
by just by geography and nothing else say it. if your family are in Clare and you've made a life in Mayo but you're a single man and you're stuck here well FaceTime is great but like what do you fill the you know what do you fill the lonely moments with mm. and the residual side effect that I don't think has been accounted for yet is the mental health impact that and I think there's PhDs then in infectious disease that are there for the take and like the community acquired diseases but anyway that's another story do you think people have got a lot angrier since COVID? Yeah, an awful lot less patient. Yeah. yeah. And I actually thought it would be the reverse, you know. I remember going to Banana one day on the phone to work and I was on the on the car phone to my father and I said, look, like, people might be a bit more patient now because it was the time like we were going to clap in for one another at the front door and all that. It's eight o'clock every Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're doing all that like... Bonkers. Yeah, madness. Because I was doing the social media for Midwest when it all happened and, you know, lockdown came and... yeah. The first few months were great. Everyone was like, Jesus, if there's anything I, I can do for you, I'll mm. come over and paint your house or I'll come over yeah. and build a shed for you or do whatever. Yeah, yeah. And we were on the radio and we were talking about bacon, banana bread. Yeah. And then people were ringing in looking for the recipe. Yeah. And there was like three and a half thousand people clicking onto this website, downloading a recipe for banana bread, making yeah. the banana bread, yeah. Yeah. putting up photos and tagging you in it. Everyone was yeah. loving life. Yeah. yeah. And then people started to get pissed off. Yeah. And then it was like, I don't ever want to see another banana bread again. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm sick of it now. Yeah, I'm sick of me fucking 5K. I'm radius. sick of me 5K. Shite. I'm yeah. sick of this shite. Yeah. I'm sick of being told what to do, where to go. I'm sick of wearing a mask. I'm sick yeah. of washing my hands. I'm sick of everything, keeping yeah. me distance. Yeah. And then I think, I don't know if people have recovered from, I don't being, think they from have. being so There's pissed like off. There's like a residual noise in the background of the population that are just, they're just pissed off. And then you see that on social media from people commenting on posts and stuff. Mm. You, you see the, the general air of things. People have it's become nastiness. very negative and yeah. nasty. Yeah, yeah. I sure was only the last day I was talking about been on TikTok. Like my, my TikTok life, I think was all about two weeks. It exploded. Like I took off on TikTok in the middle of the pandemic but it only lasted about a week and I shut it down because the only reason I took off is because the algorithm was feeding my stuff because it was so topical and then the amount of hate that I was getting it was vicious so I just I just parked it like, you but know? you you took off because you were a very relatable kind of reassuring voice ah uh, thanks and people were were like messaging you kind of saying what do you think we should do should we take it and you were applying to everybody and yeah you were yeah. like you were spending hours on it. Yeah, well, sure, I was trying my best, like, but like I could empathize with people. I knew as little as everybody else, and in anything like the conflict in Europe now, I'm all in on that. And the same with COVID. I was listening to anybody that had anything new to say, and I was dissecting it and relating it to something that somebody else said, some other boffin over here, and I digest all of the information, and then in the evening. By the time it made a news headline, it'd be like, okay, well, that headline is flawed. And I know everybody's seen it. So I'd put up the headline and I'd say, here's what's wrong with that headline. And I'd dissect it. And then I'd alleviate some of the worries that I had at the start of the day for myself. Yeah. Because and for the people reading or listening. Yeah. There was a lot of, um, I'm thinking about having a baby and yeah. think I should still take the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That type of stuff. I could discuss it at least. And then people made informed decisions instead of reading a caption or a headline. You know, and that's that's what I would attribute most of my success on Instagram to. Yeah, it's such a tricky one. Like, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be that far at all. I think we went mad. Yeah, mad, yeah. vaccinating everyone. Yeah, too, and I can, too too quickly. Yeah, and when I'm, you know, in the depths of the pandemic, I would have said you were mad. I've come back, and I, I, it's not that I've rolled back on my opinion. It's more that like I'm more empathetic and sympathetic to people's, you know, 
questions on it, having dealt with a lot of them, but also people's fundamental opinions on it, like in the basis of those opinions and why you have them. Even though I don't think there'd be much else we could have done differently, I still like people to challenge the narrative and to discuss it with me, like, and for us to have that conversation, because it's not it's not just me saying my opinion anymore. It's me learning from that conversation, you know. So, like, there's good value in it, like. It's very difficult to say to, to a family that have lost somebody from taking the vaccine, though, that I'm sorry the vaccine killed you. Mm. But if you didn't take it, COVID might have killed you. Mm. But it might not have. It might not have. But the vaccine, yeah. the vaccine killed a, a family member. Yeah. And like, how do you get closure from that? You don't. And this is something that I suppose, without sounding callous, I'm used to dealing with in medicine, you know. Like if I have somebody who has stage four cancer coming to me in the community and they come in on a Tuesday and they say there's nothing I can do. I have a consultants meeting on Thursday to discuss options, but it's palliative. And they come back into me on Thursday evening and say, well, actually, they're going to try a drug on me and the drug is going through a licensing phase or it's part of a trial or something. And regardless of having taken that drug, they end up dying in the next three weeks. Was it the drug or was it the illness? Like, do you know, all the science in the world will eventually at some stage answer that question if they want to know the answer. But I, for one, am part of the camp of probably trying to remedy the situation by taking a medicine. And I understand in hindsight there's a naivety to that that I maybe didn't respect at the time. But I, you know, I, I'm i used to people attempting to take medicines and the medicine's not working or the medicine's causing insult and it costing them, costing them their, their lives, you know. Um, and then the argument is, is, well, how long would they have survived with the cancer had they not taken this experimental drug or, you know, those arguments happen and they're discussed in journals and in literature a lot um, and then there's the idea of quality, the quality adjusted life years, which is a, a mathematical equation that they use to justify cost of medicines for people. And it gets really unsavory. You start talking about, you know, the value of somebody's life. And, you know, that is all part of that same conversation that you were saying there. How do you, how do you comfort somebody who's died as a result of a medication or of a vaccine? Um you know, who may or may not have died from the illness that they were supposedly trying to treat. Y- you can't, is the answer, you know. And, like, I don't, and I don't mean to make it sound like you created the vaccine. Do you know what I mean? It's just no. interesting to talk to somebody that's more knowledgeable on it than I am. And, I, and I'd say an awful lot of people kind of did jump down your throat as if you, as if you were mm. Pfizer or one of these brands. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Jumping yeah. down your yeah. neck, telling you, oh, you're pushing I, you, this. She, pushing you get that. a bit of that. Like, sure, as on Midwest, I, I had plenty of pushback. But the thing is, is I still I still fundamentally believe that the vaccine, as we learn more about it, is flawed as a medicine. I don't think there's many medicines that aren't. I think there is plenty for, you know, medicine to work on with respect to that particular type of vaccine, mRNA vaccines. There's an awful lot that they need to fix with that. But would I have not taken it? It's arguable. I don't know. I like I'm finished taking vaccines, you know, for COVID anyway. Um so 
like hindsight is always going to be twenty twenty on something like well, that. Well, if, if if you if you knew then what you know now, mm. would you have taken the four of them? I would have, um, but I would have reaffirmed what I'd said in my last vaccine. Um, my la- like there's a technique to administering the vaccine that we didn't use broadly speaking across Europe and most of America, where they draw back first. Um, and I insisted that the needle be drawn back before it was administered. What difference does that make? That is to check whether or not it gets straight into a vein or a vessel. And it has to get straight into the muscle. And that reduces a myriad of side effects. And, uh, you know, the potential for chronic inflammatory disorders and conditions associated with the use of the vaccine. So are you saying that some of the issues then were down to the administration rather than the vaccine? That science is ongoing. My reading of the science at the time was they have more to learn about this. But if I have the opportunity to sit down and say to the lady, would you mind drawing back on that before you give it to me? Then I'm going to. And I did. If I'd have known that sooner, I probably would have said it sooner. Do you know what about me then? The Joe Soap that walks in and just has to take it in the arm whatever way I'm giving it. Yeah. And you see, this is the thing. This is why like, I put so much value into learning as that vaccine was rolled out, this this is what we were doing. It, it went A, B, C, D, and that's the way everybody did it. There was no room for evolution, you know. So as the science was coming out of places like Denmark that they were saying, maybe we should be drawing back on this and our levels of chronic inflammation or like, you know, cardiac inflammation and vascular inflammation are lower than everybody else's and we're drawing back. Maybe everybody sh- should be doing it. There was some scientists talking about it, but it didn't filter in and it didn't become part of the standard operating procedures. And subsequently, at the time, to be honest with you, by the time I got my last vaccine, it was recently enough, but I didn't feel like I was, it was appropriate for me to talk about it because the science was so new. Um, and I also didn't know how it would be received, being that like I was such an advocate of the vaccine and I was talking about its safety profile and its usefulness and who could have it and when they should have it and which one. I didn't know how it was going to be received, me saying, well, there's a slight inflection point here now. Maybe we should be drawing this back. And what would that do to anybody that listened to me? And I was afraid then, you know, I start to snowball. And a bit like you, we've related on this, times we overthink things. I was like, what if I get another 10,000 followers? And, like, it snowballs out of control where it's just like, this guy's a pharmacist and he's on all these state boards and he's not an advocate for the vaccine, you know? Um... So do you feel like you have to be an advocate for it? A little bit, but I was like, you know, and I am. It's just that I think the fundamentals of the drug, uh, you know, need to be ironed out. It's not So what, not what, what would you have done? So then would you have rolled it out slower? Was it a case of here, no. fuck it out into the community and give it to everyone quick? Would you have changed that? No, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have changed the pace that we rolled it out because in fairness, the pace that we rolled it out was flawed. Like, we didn't get it out quick enough in a lot of instances. Um, that's in your opinion. And then, that's and that's then, my opinion, yeah, the, yeah. The other narrative is we got it out too quick and too many people had it. Yeah, yeah, and I accept that. Like, But the thing is, is I think there would have been an awful lot to be, have been said for a community-acquired infection as a result of having had the, infect, the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So... The two together and the type of immunity that they produce together is very, very robust. Right. And that's another thing. In addition to the drawback on the needle, 
that's another thing that just wasn't spoken about enough at the time. I spoke about that a little bit. I felt more com- comfortable talking about that because I could understand the science of it a little bit better. Um, and it wasn't as fresh. But, like, th- things like that now, I did, I, you know, I do feel like I could have done better there. Like, a very staunch advocate of using what you have when you have it where you can, particularly when it comes to medicine and science. Yeah, and, and I don't know if this conversation is fair. You know, I'm kind of putting you up against a wall here. And no, like I, I, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Like, yeah. like I, these questions need to be asked and answered. Like. Yeah, but I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you have the answers. I'm just interested on, in your opinion. Yeah. And I really don't mean to put you up against a wall because nah. there's 10 different... Uh, there's 100 arguments from sideways. Exactly. And you're always going to find the extremists. It's just my opinion versus your opinion now at yeah. the minute. Like, and that's, yeah. that's not really fair yeah. either. But. No, but you have you have to, you always have to ask these questions. Yeah. I had somebody ring me there last day about something and they were looking for support on something and I was asking them hard questions and they got annoyed with me. And I said, look, this is like business. Once we leave this office, we're friends. Everything's mm-hmm. fine. We're friends right now. But the thing is, is these questions have to be asked and answered. If you can't answer them, then you're not getting the support that you think you deserve. So, like, this this is the culture that I try to maybe, like, encourage around me, like. So yeah. I'm happy to answer any questions. I was just really disappointed to see children. It'd been pushed on children and teenagers, yeah. like. And I, I was just, that really got to me. And would you say it was pushed on children? Like, would you say, like, there was a, a direct influx of campaign and management that went specifically towards children it's a tricky one because you, you say like during the covid and during the lockdown you had all these kind of keyboard warriors saying such a radio station was paid ninety five thousand to push it mm. right and then you say to yourself right well such a radio station had no money the revenue was down they had no mm. ads the government came along and said we're going to roll out ads and pay you ninety five thousand yeah. they're going to take the they're going to take the money and play did the that ad. happen in ireland like absolutely it happened Jeez. But it wasn't a case of the radio station actively trying to get yeah, it wasn't malicious on the on the part of the radio to take station. a vaccine. Yeah, it was they, broke brass tacks. They needed money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. keep the door and no, here, it looked like the I government. Can that. The government coming along saying we're going to give you a hundred grand. Yeah, and it wasn't as straightforward as here. We're going to give you a hundred grand. That's how much all the ads added up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like we yeah. need to do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to give you a hundred grand. Can you do it for such a thing? Yeah. And I just feel that. That all happened a bit too easily. Mm. I think there was handy money taken very easily. And then I know parents that were in the car and I know parents that are huge advocates of the vaccine and, mm. you know, queuing up to get it into their yeah. kids as quick yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, I just think, I just think we should have just slowed that down a bit. Ian. Yeah. And look, like I can respect that. I actually didn't know that that was happening, but like when you think about it, that's a very logical thing. You like, didn't know that the ads were on the radio. Well, no, I knew that the ads were on the radio, right? But I, I would look at things differently to you, and I would see an ad on the radio from a health professional's perspective and say, "That's good. That's on the radio now," okay. because I had Joe in here earlier on telling me it was a crock of nonsense, and it didn't matter how nice I was to Joe. And how many different layers of broken down education that I tried to give him in sound bites, he wasn't having it. Mm. And that ad was a good ad. And hopefully it mightn't get Joe, but it might get Joe's neighbour. And that's the way I look at it. Whereas you're coming from a from a, a media point of view and you're like, that ad costs five grand. Who's paying for it? And why is it up so quick? It's that type of naivety 
that I was referencing like when we started talking about this because there was aspects of my perception of the situation that were naive and it's not it wasn't out of badness or anything I just I was fixated and focused on the task the task was we're in the middle of a global pandemic I understand disease I understand disease transmission I understand medicine what can I do to help people and I was entirely focused on that I was invigorated by it yeah I wasn't looking at it from a cynical point of view other than to say there were, you know, to be breaches of information or confidentiality or whatever, like on the part of drug companies or to be these leaks, you'd see them mainly on the, like in the US or whatever, like on their media channels. And I, that had stirred up a degree of cynicism in me about, like, the potential for profitability from major companies and stuff like that. And I'd be like, that was a bit very, well, it wasn't a bit, it was very unsavory. Mm. That type of stuff I understood. But from, just even just from your point of view, I would have never thought of that. Well, I don't know if there was something sinister going on between, let's just say, the HSE and the manufacturer, the, the vaccine. I can only talk from, from on the ground point of view in the radio station where it's as straightforward as the HSE walking in going, how are you doing? Mm. We want to play an ad 17 times tomorrow. <gasps> here's the money. Here's the ad. Yeah. And it was copy paste, mm. put the ad on the radio station the exact same way as if it was Mark Jordan menswear. Yeah. And, but when you were reading the comments online, you had keyboard warriors that thought we were going to these meetings with mm. the vaccine companies. Yeah, but you're right. People and telling me I was on the take. You the know. vaccine companies were saying, there's a hundred grand. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Put, put that ad on, good lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it wasn't anything got to do with that. Yeah. It was got to do with how do we keep the lights on? Yeah. Yeah, Hang yeah. on a second, yeah. the, H- the HSE wants us to play 17 ads tomorrow. But you see, when you're thinking about it and talking about it from the perspective of it's as literally as night and day, there's nothing sinister happening here. Not a thing. Uh, from, from a health professional's point of view, from the HSE's perspective, it literally is that night and day. It's, we're in a pandemic, this is the part of it we understand, this is what we're doing. And that's what they did. So when... PR or whoever from the HSC, the Department of Health, turned up in that radio station and said, this is what we're doing. It was it was literally... Well, here's a good question then. Do you think that these huge companies should have profited as much no, as they have? No, 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 no. You shouldn't. Like, there's major tech companies and... There's so, ma- major tech companies and, and major tech alliances that are making things open source and it's non-profit because it's the, for the betterment of humankind. I sometimes really wonder why... People had to profit from the pandemic. Like, well, like, it, that doesn't make any sense. If we break it down here now, and you say the HSE paid millions mm. for radio ads mm. so that the vaccine companies could become billionaires, yeah, well, we'd be here all night dissecting that. Like, isn't that like, madness, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's why, public funds. Like, it's it's. Why did the vaccine companies not pay for the ads? Yeah. Well, and, you see, the and thing then is, is, you have people saying, "Oh, well, that's definitely what happened." Yeah. Yeah, and like I can, I can understand how you would elucidate, but that's a that's that's a very myopic way of looking at things because, in all actuality, in the totality of things, there are several institutions working with one another here, mm. and if you think right, just on the broadest of kind of cynics' point of views, if you think that there are bad actors that are that intelligent working in the government structure in Ireland, then, like, look at lads. You know, like, uh, that was my main argument against, you know, any of that stuff. Like, if you really think 
that the bad actors have infiltrated a community pharmacist to go on Instagram and amass <laughs> the the massive amount of followers of 9,000 people. You must be, what? You know, yeah. in all actuality, what's happened is, is you have the HSE who are charged and the Department of Health who are charged with public health. And they have, they were allocated money, expenditure, to basically communicate and educate the masses. But I think and that's that's what their job was. You can say they're paying to advertise this profitable drug for this company. I yeah. think that's what happened though. I think it happened in England more so than Ireland where yeah. um, huge Instagrammers went on saying, oh, yeah. and they were like getting videos of themselves. Getting vaccinated. And yeah. the, the NHS was paying them mm. to put the video up. Yeah. And then it was game over for them. They were ruined. Yeah. But like the you know, yeah, that that just speaks to the influencers, plural or whatever they were, those Instagram personalities or whatever they were, it speaks to their ability to pick and choose the work. What person with good sense didn't think that that was going to happen to them? I'm going to go on here now, but and see, I know it's as polarizing as this. In such early days, though, when the when we heard about the vaccine, sure, we thought it was the the be all and end all. Yeah. Yeah. We thought this was going to solve our problems. Pop that in your arm and there's no more nine euro meals. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but that's that's the nature of looking at things with a short-sighted point of view. And we weren't allowed to go on holidays. Yeah. <laughs> When's was, the last time you were? I know, you're on loads of holidays. That was Becker. another thing, you know. Yeah. You know vaccine, no holiday. Yeah. So yeah. just pop this into your arm, head across to Lanzarote. And you'll be sound. Do whatever you like. Yeah. And then that's that's, yeah. that's the issue I had. But anyway, yeah. I, I appreciate you talking about it. I really do appreciate you talking about it. And I think we could talk about it for hours. I know, we could. And I we don't could. think we... I, in hindsight, I don't think we should have went into it in as much detail. And I don't think it's fair. Yeah. I don't think it's fair to have that conversation well, with you I, without you know, I other mind. professionals present. Maybe, yeah, you know? and that's fair. It's just been my, my view versus yours. And I hope people see it as that. Mm. It's just... I'm just a Joe Soap here having a chat with a pharmacist I don't really understand the whole thing and, and I'm I'm just a lad that stands you know out dispensing medicines like yeah. you know I knew a lot about it at one stage like, <laughs> well thanks for thanks for going into it in such great detail yeah uh, let's talk That's about pr- private life now for a few minutes go for it so do it Ola is just the centre of your life yeah and anyone is, anyone yeah. that follows you knows that she's your world yeah she is, yeah, yeah. There's photos as, there on a regular as, basis. As cheesy as it is, but she is, yeah. 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 There's constant public displays of affection. Yeah, oh, it's sickening, really. Well, like, I didn't want to say... sick in your mouth. I didn't want to say Disgusting. anything. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just jealous. Is that, is that what you do when you're looking at your big telly in the evenings and you're, you've got Dancing with the Stairs on and you're like, this no, fucker. Yeah. I'm here rubbing cookie on the couch going, look at them happy bastards. <laughs> look at them. <laughs> Look at them there. Oh, uh, all loved, nah, all, nah, all loved up. She is, she is. And in fairness, we were talking about the stages in my development and my mental health and all that. She's the yin to the yang. Like I don't know which is which, but and she became very much part of your page. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and yeah. she would come on doing Q and As and yeah, and it became more so Mark and Ola rather Mark than and Ola, yeah. the Mark Jordan pharmacist. Yeah, yeah it did, and it, it kind of grew legs. Even even during the pandemic, like she used to do like cooking lives in the middle of the day, and yeah. you know do recipes and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's since evolved into kind of this thing like where it's it's a page dec- dedicated to a little bit of health and us documenting our lives. And I I don't want to talk about her too much because she's not here, but she's in marketing as well. She is. 
Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah so she's, she's well able to go on Instagram. She is well able to go, yeah, which is mad because when we started, she wasn't, you know, that wasn't her, that wasn't her corner of the, of, or that wasn't her profession, realistically. Yeah. And uh, to get her to do stuff on Instagram was like pulling teeth. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know she yeah. comes and owns Oh, man. That but page, like, like, she was made for it. She's so good at it. Do you want to mention what she does? It's up to yourself. Uh, she's a social media executive for Easy Living, Easy Living Furniture. So she works incredibly hard at it. Um, so she's the lady that gives you the tours around the stores and yeah. she does all the fancy reels and yeah. shows you where to put a picture frame on a wall for yeah. pe- people like me that, as you can see, I don't have any picture frames Actually, on my wall. Actually, it's a finely decorated room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this house looks derelict. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it feels derelict too sometimes. I'm waiting for, for a man with one shoe to <laughs> swing the door open now in a second and say, Pick do we have out. any milk? <laughs> So, um, you've good news. I have excellent news. I probably have the best news in my life, yeah. Tell Ola us. is heading for her second trimester, so she'll be uh, 13 weeks this week. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Cool boss. How, yeah. How long Give it you, up for the fertility. How long are you together? We're together seven years this year. How long are you married? We're married. We are married, as it's tattooed on my arm there, uh, two years, two days ago. Two years, two days ago. And for people wondering, he actually had to roll up his sleeve. And double check. And double check. Yeah. The My anniversary was two days ago. Married two two years, but I just had to double check. What's, <laughs> what's the crack with getting a tattooed onto your arm? You got uh, the, well, like, jizz, just if I ever forget it, I'll be in twice the trouble. I know that much anyway. You got your wedding date tattooed onto your arm. Yeah, well, Ola likes all of these. Do you ever come across this crack with angel numbers? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, same. If you, if you get into the car and it's 11-11, you're going to have the best life the ever. The best. The best life. If well, you I check can, the phone and the watch at the same time, it's I three times I can tell you low. now, it's fucking 11-11 twice a day in this house. And, it, <laughs> and it's not going fucking great for me so far. So As he sits on his throne, <laughs> it's ivory, just so everybody knows. Um, but the day, so her brother is a tattoo artist in town. The day that um, she was due to get 11-11 tattooed on her in this particular font I surprised her so she was getting tattooed by one of the girls in the studio and I'd organised with my brother-in-law Mike shout out Dirty Mike um, Dirty Mike the, and the boys Dirty Mike and the boys yeah um, I'd organised with Mike without telling her to get the date that we got aunt, uh, married on um, in the same font tattooed in the same place cool so that's why it's there right yeah and so also don't forget so it better work out better <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations thanks this very is much fantastic news and you can tell me to mind my own business. No, far away. Do you mind me asking, had, have you been trying long? Yeah. So we were trying nearly a year. We are just shy of a year. Does, does all of mind you talking about this? No. Uh, we mentioned it like briefly on Instagram last day. She did a Q&A. Um, we're really comfortable talking about stuff like this. The only kind of bit that makes me feel slightly uncomfortable is kind of on behalf of other people. Like, because... We were getting to the stage where we thought we'd probably have to go to the next step now, like, and probably look out, keep an eye out for help. And I'm cognizant, both as somebody that's spent the last year trying, and luckily enough, we've had good news. But also as a healthcare professional, I I feel for those people like that have difficulty and that are having difficulties. Like it's it's tough. We're really running out of time, and and any, no, any, away. anyone should follow your page, Mark Jordan Pharmacist, because you are going to bring people along on this journey. Yeah, but is there any is there anything you did yourself over the counter and easily that you thought might have helped things along, or did you just ovulation keep... tests, apps, 
are only as good as the information that are in, uh, that's put into them. So right? you, you don't appreciate the apps? No, I don't. The apps are absolute nonsense. Absolute drivel. And the thing is, is you're being swindled a lot of the time into believing the crap that they feed you. And it wasn't until like midway through our journey that I said to Ola one day, I was like, show me that app. And she's flicking through it like, and it tracks your cycle and all that type of stuff. And it tells you when you're ovulating. And I was like, what? You, how does it know? And she said, well, I, I, I you put told in it, the information. You told it day one. And I, I said, you know, your cycle varies. Mm. And she said, well, it's fairly regular. And I said, but it's not regular, regular. And so, there's nobody regular, regular, you know. Without prying too much, were you coming home now and she was saying, right, up the stairs? Oh, yeah. The app was binging. The app was binging, yeah. And this was, right. This was it, but you're like... you were you're, living, you were living your life according to this app. Yeah. And she had put in the information day one. Yeah. That yeah, may or may not have been... Correct. ...accurate to it. And like, the thing is, is you're, you're down to a 72-hour window, and <laughs> you're ovulating or you're not... It's simple as that. And I don't mean to be rude. It's not as, you no, know, but I, like, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I know, we'll have the crack about it. Like, the thing is, is you're ovulating or you're not. And then, fucking, this app was wrong because the information in it was wrong. After a while, I was like, here, look, fire that in the bin. And what I was said, it, What was it like for you on a monthly basis, knowing that it didn't l- work? It didn't work. The most demoralizing thing that's ever happened. Goat wrenching. Ola wanted two things for me this time last year. I was working kind of seven days a week, every week. She wanted me to be home more and she wanted us to try and have a child. And so, like, I fixed the work thing. And then to think that we just couldn't, for lots of, like, small families out there, like, it's it's like the last part of the puzzle, you know? The feeling of personally not being able to give her that... I was blaming myself. She was blaming herself. It's a really emotional thing. Like it's really difficult to be honest with you. And you you don't talk about it because you don't want to make her upset and say like, "Are we having trouble?" Or stuff. how did you talk about it on a monthly basis? How did it come up? We do tests, and the tests would be negative, and that was it. And that's how it would come up. And every month, I'd have another excuse. I'm going to change this. And, uh, like what? I, for example, I completely curtailed alcohol consumption. Like It's not like I'd be out drinking every night of the week. But I, on a Friday night, instead of having four beers, I'd have one. And like if I had any. And it became like a kind of a... I really wanted to do it, but there was a kind of a miserableness about it then as well. Like I was making these changes, just hoping that something would change. And then after a while, I was like, sure, it's staring us in the face. What what are we actually doing wrong here? And it was all down to the 72 hour window. Back, Back to science again. Back to science. I was like, these are the sticks. Use them wisely once a day. Keep using them. Use them every day. What do you do with that? So it tells you if you're ovulating. So you release a hormone in your urine. Oh, you pee on a stick. Pee on a stick like a pregnancy test. Right. It tells you if you're ovulating. How much are they? They're deer. Like they're, I think there's only like five or, five or something in a box and they could be 30 quid. What? Yeah, they're mad deer. Now, for everybody out there saying absolutely not, my wife's probably going, you're sensationalist. That's the way. They might be 25 quid, but they are deer. They're, they could be over 20 euro. Um, and there's not that many in a box. There might be 10 in some boxes, depending on the brand. So you're talking 100 euros a month here, more. Yeah, you could be. You could be. Now, luckily, we only had to do that for a couple of months, like. But that reinforced my scientific opinion. This thing is wrong. You And she was ovulating at the complete opposite end of the month. But the app was wrong. The stick the, wasn't. The, yeah. 
Yeah, so the, the, sti- the stick can't be wrong because you're releasing the hormone. So what if you got the sticks at the start and then used the app? Arguably, we would have been, the child would be walking, the child would be talking to you. you so, know? yeah, that would save you a few bob, though. Probably would have, yeah. Get yeah. the sticks first. Then no, the app, the majority of the apps are free. Like, ladies use them to track their cycle anyway. You but know? then, like you say, the cycle changes, so... There was months there now, like, where the cycle was completely different to the one that preceded it. So it's not reliable information, and science doesn't move in circles of unreliability. It's fact. It's yes or no. There's degrees of variance between individuals, but it's yes or no. It happens or it doesn't happen. So she was either ovulating or she wasn't. And were you 100% convinced it was your fault? Yeah, I was. But sure, like, I was a hellion 10 years ago, you know? So I thought I'd damaged myself or I'd ruined our chances of having a child because I'd made myself infertile some way or shape or form. Like, and I was there any you test you could have done to see? Yeah, look, like, there's over-the-counter fertility tests that you can take, but they're nonsense, really. Um, you'd, you'd never bother n- with them. Nah, and they're too expensive. Like, if I was going to do it, the next step would have been clinic. going off to the clinic and each getting fertility tests and all that type of stuff and seeing if everything was working and okay you know yeah well you got there in the end we did thanks be to thanks whoever. be to god yeah and so far so good so far so good yeah she's pretty sick now but she's doing good oh god love her yeah yeah poor thing yeah uh so says us the pair of lads uh, talking no, about her no the poor thing i wouldn't yeah. wish that on anyone and the poor and the um when is the baby due christmas week stop christmas yeah. baby yeah Oh, I hope it arrives on the 20th. <laughs> it's actually due on the 18th. My birthday is the 20th. You're joking me. Yeah, if it's born on the 20th and it's a boy, will you You'll call it Alan? You'll give me a thousand euro. Will you call it Alan? No. <laughs> What's so funny? Will you call it Alan? Do you know the amount of people that have been like, <laughs> will you call... I have a friend out there. She, she wrote to us the last day in the Q&A and was like, obviously Brenda is a, is a name that's... In the running, yeah. Because her name is Brenda. The amount of people that are like, you're obviously going to call it after me. All right, so you're you're not going to call it Alan, but can I? Can I be Godfather? That position is taken, but I do have another special position for you, and that means that once a year on the child's birthday, you can come and mow the lawn. Ah. So uh, on the twentieth of December, and you can wear the get up that you're wearing now. My my old Asics runners and my male yeah, jersey. Absolutely, All right, absolutely. So instead of having entertainment over that we'd have to pay for, yeah, like for a child's birthday, you can come in your shorts in the snow and mow the lawn. All right, and that can be your special job. Or I could just be vice godfather. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's much easier. Is that an elected position? Do you have to campaign for that? Um, no, no. You're just you. You go home and you have a chat to her, and you say. <laughs> I've decided I'm making You Alan. don't know how politics in my house work. <laughs> <laughs> I have a fair idea from watching your story. Yeah, there's one boss. I have a fair idea. Yeah, yeah. No, but look, we're we're delighted. And yeah, I just, I can't wait. Can't wait, yeah. Brilliant. I'm really, really looking forward to it, yeah. Are you happy with work at the moment? Yeah, for the first time ever, actually. Why did you say the first time ever? Uh, just the job and the stresses of the job and finding the right place to do my job. That's an awful kick in the balls to everywhere you've ever worked. Yeah, but like people take that personally. It's nothing to do with the people. It's to do with the jobs. It's to do with the profession, you know. Okay. It's not to do with the patients. Certainly not to do with any of the professionals that I worked with. The last place I worked, I loved the girls. Loved them. Likewise as the place before. But the thing is, is the job is doesn't get enough credit for how 
absurdly stressful it is. And uh, in some places you have a support network, in others you have to create it. Like so in the last job I had, I had to create a support network inside the dispensary to help me. And that girl's name was Emma. She was excellent. But where I work now is it was it was a finely tuned, well-oiled machine when I stood into it. And I brought my experience with me and I couldn't function in that environment without the experiences that I had. But like I'm finally humming. Plus, I'm out in rural Mayo, you know, I'm in the leafy suburbs of Castlebar and yeah. I'm just, it's class, like. It's class. So you're selling plenty of blue fellas over the counter there, making. I'm it. actually not. <laughs> you well, know, good. there's I, an awful lot to be said for fresh air and a walk in the evening. Yeah. These boys are teaching me a thing there's or two. There's any you know? amount of testosterone <laughs> out in bad. There's loads of it. Yeah. <laughs> These boys chasing cattle up the field in the morning. They've plenty of energy in the evening. Raw steak. <laughs> Raw steak. Yeah. Fishfuls of sprouts. There's a, there's a lot to be <laughs> yeah. said for it. Yeah. Raw Mark, milk. Mark, thanks so much for your honesty. I don't know. Look, thanks for making the time after a busy day. Well, look, we're sitting down having a chat. So we have sure been that. threatening to record this podcast for years. Probably. Probably two years, I'd say, this at this stage. stage. Yeah. 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 And every time we meet each other, you're flying one way, I'm flying another yeah. way. And we say, we need to meet up and go for a walk or a coffee or something. And, yeah. and you keep going and I keep going. Yeah. And never we, we mean it with the best intentions. We do. We but do. we better do it between now and December. because we better because there'll be few and far between opportunities after that, Mr. Allen. On the 18th of December, it's game over. It is game over. Ball burst. Ball <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Um, are, are people asking you in Q&As how many children you would like? Is there no, any? No, actually. Are there not? Nobody asks no. that. I know I'm not asking you now, but are, is there any inappropriate questions like that you do, you're not comfortable with? Uh, no. No. Can you think of any inappropriate questions before you go that you'd like to No, ask? I can't. It's just that, you know, from talking to David Cuddy in the last podcast and every Q&A he does, he goes, the people ask him about his dad. Mm. You know, and it's getting a bit old now and he wants to try and grieve his dad and yeah. the last thing he wants to do yeah. is, is, is be talking about his dad yeah, in his Q&A every time. That. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I'm sure people probably, well, they're probably lucky with you. There's no boundaries. Not particularly, no. Like, I, you, I'm more you, concerned about what people think about what I say respective to them, like rather than my own feelings. Like. Even the question, how long were you trying, is probably a really inappropriate question to most people. Yeah, but it's a question that gets asked. An equally inappropriate question is, is... You know, you'd meet somebody and they go, any kids? You know, you meet an older person like the weekend, any kids? And the, the reason I asked is it's a genuine concern of mine. Yeah. So I'm 38 now. And you I don't look at David. And I'd love to have had, I'd love to have two chaps here in this house by now. Yeah, but sure. The thing about it is, is that for men, you've, you've a little bit from a healthcare professional's point of view, you've put a leeway there. The ladies aren't as lucky as, as us ultimately I don't want to lose sight of that because like there's two lads talking about something that is entirely about them no but but to be fair it's something that's never heard about from an emotional point of view lads don't talk about it like no and And, you're right I was conscious of it like and I don't think people people allow us to talk about it no you know people assume that oh sure you've loads of yeah you've loads of swimmers yeah and loads of time but it's something that I genuinely worry about yeah yeah, I'd hate to like I'm 38 now. Let's just say if I meet somebody tomorrow, yeah, realistically it's going to be I don't know three or four years best case. Would you say? I don't know. I like know a book now down the country is moving fierce fast. <laughs> teach you a thing or two. I don't know. And then you're worrying, right? I'm going to be 42, 41, 42. You have to make sure it's the right person. Do you know? 
Yeah. There's a lot of living together and a lot of rowing and a lot of washing dishes and a lot of picking up socks and a lot of... Uh, well, you could do what I do and shove the socks down the side of the couch. And <laughs> I, have, I have a magical couch that seems to empty itself of socks. I have a friend that just doesn't wear socks. <laughs> The problem eliminated. I was at a function with that man, and I think he made fun of us the same night for not wearing socks. The two of us actually, indeed, did have socks on. Well, I was at the I was away with last weekend, and I came down, and I was wearing you know these little sports socks that just come up up above the ankle socks. socks. I was wearing black ones. Oh right, with navy shorts. Oh, he didn't like that. No, no, no. He took great pleasure in showing me every single message he got (laughs) for the whole day long. (laughs) Oh, Alan, here's another message saying, look at the state of him and his black socks. <laughs> We'd be another seven miles down the road. Here's another message saying you look like a state in your black socks. So, yeah. Oh, well, look like, you know, you have to be able to. I was getting paid, well, you know. Yeah. If people want to follow you online, tell us your social media handles. Mark Jordan Pharmacist on Instagram and it'll pop up. I think there's a couple of underscores in there between Mark Jordan and Pharmacist. But it should pop up. And that's all I'm on. You'll you'll probably catch me on Facebook, but to be fair, anything that's on Facebook is attached to the Instagram. So that's where I'm most active is Instagram. So go over, give him a follow. Please do. Yeah, I'd be delighted to talk to you. Anybody that wants to. I'd be, I'm mad to get, get into this cons- consultation room. Now, t- thank God, touch wood, Jesus, I don't need to go into it. But, uh, do you not? Well, nothing at the minute now. said this evening, it would be a bit nothing worrying. at the minute now, thank God. You're looking a bit peaky. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a bit peaky some days. Are you sure you're only 38? Yeah. <laughs> right, thanks, Mark. No bother. Keep her lit. Appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch reviewing of our show homes, a brochure, or for more information. Let BRB Homes take the stress out of your build. Check out brbhomes.ie.